Warning, in today's episode, there are spoilers for the Loki show. They occur at about 40 minutes into the episode. It's a one-liner. Welcome to the Basin Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuer. I'm Jay Sticky. And today we are having another episode where we just talk about cool stuff that we like. Um, but first we are going to talk about cool less wrong sequences because we like all of them. But first, first. Uh-oh. <laughs> I insist. Talking about cool stuff we like. I'll be fast. Um, I played the uh, remaster of Skyward Sword. Mm. Which, yeah. if you're a Zelda aficionado, takes place at the beginning of the Zelda timeline. And then partway through the series, there's like three distinct branches of timeline spending on things shook out. And Breath of the Wild canonically takes place at the end of all of them. It doesn't matter what lineage you went down throughout the timelines. And it was so much fun. The gameplay was great. The story Had was you awesome. played the unremastered Skyward Sword? No, I didn't. A lot of people hated that one. And I have problems with that because I fucking loved it. I uh, didn't have like the extra weeb add-ons thing yeah. to make the sword work you're but making a jack-off motion while you do that you, i just want all the audience to know no that, that that is i think the problem that a lot of people have with that because you did in fact have to swing around your wiimote like a sword mm. but they also made you do dumb things like having to like raise it to the sky mm. and basically wiggle it in a jacking off motion in order to like throw enemies off so like yeah okay it had its problems okay but what's cool is that the the, the switch version that's all optional you can play it that way or you can play it with buttons but the cool thing is like you do have to do diagonal strikes, and if you do it with the switch, with, with, with the remote, you're doing it with like just swinging the little stick diagonally. But if you're doing it with the motion controls, you do have to move your arm in the right way, and it's kind of fun. But, but it would be Especially when you play. hit your partner in the head accidentally, yeah. <laughs> trying yeah. to kill something. <laughs> it would be exhausting to play like that all the time. But yeah. I brought all that up because we're talking about Breath of the Wild, and there is a location in Breath of the Wild that I'm convinced is a primary important location from Skyward Sword that oh. we'll have to talk about nerdily off the air, but... Uh, it's super cool. Anyway, great stuff. If you're into, why'd Zelda you bring lore. it up on the air? If you're going to talk about it off the air, because the game is worth playing. If anyone was on the fence. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Uh, if uh, if you heard mixed reviews about Skyward Sword when it came out originally, the remaster was awesome and super super fun, worth playing. Okay, fantastic. And the other quick one. Yeah. I saw the Suicide Squad yesterday. I've heard that one was actually surprisingly good. It was so awesome. Okay. Was it? So James Sell Gunn. James Gunn did Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, James Gunn did this one. Oh, it's probably going to be good. Yeah, I'm already kind of sold. Right. So it's like, you know, James Gunn's like, hey, you know this group of random, like, kind of makeshift throwaway heroes that nobody knew existed? These trash babies. Yeah. Want to watch me make make these characters fun? Want to watch me do it again? And (laughs) it was, I think, two main selling points. One, James Gunn. Two, it was R-rated. And so, like, they didn't have to pull their punches. Was the first Suicide Squad not R-rated? I think it was PG-13. Oh, my God. Okay. And if it wasn't, it felt like it I was. I saw the first Suicide Squad, and I don't remember it <laughs> that was very well, which is probably telling. We watched the pitch meeting after. So, uh, I love Harley Quinn, and I've loved Harley Quinn since the original Batman animated series. And, like, the, the recent movies have made me love her more. The recent anime series have made me love her even okay, more and more. that's the correct opinion. How much, thank you. Okay. How much Harley Quinn is there in this movie? Enough. Hmm. That it doesn't it, sound like enough. It, it, it's not a Harley Quinn-centric movie. Damn it. But she's she's a main... I'm not sure who... The main character is probably... I don't want to... I, I can't remember the 
character's name. There's one character who gets more screen time probably, but it's it's a menagerie of characters. Okay. Uh, it's not Birds of Prey where it's like the Harley oh, Quinn yeah, yeah, movie. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, I mean, she's she's one of the Suicide Squad. Okay. Yeah. I guess who is the Wolverine of this movie? <laughs> uh, since every ensemble movie seems to, ever since X Men, have had just you know a Wolverine who's the actual main character. Then it's probably the fans Harley want Quinn. them to be. Or oh not. really? I mean, yeah. Okay. Especially because everyone else is in it. I mean, there's a couple who are in other movies, but that's it. So like. I don't know. It either that or I forget his name. Uh, Idris Elba's character. Oh yeah, I could see he could definitely pull off the world too. Yeah. What was his character? I can't remember what his name was. Uh, it wasn't Deadshot because that was Will Smith's character, but he, he has basically the same power. Okay. Uh, he's good at bullets. Um, <laughs> so anyway, it was hilarious. It leaned into the absurdity of like, how dumb is this premise, right? <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, watch me turn this up to eleven. And just roll with that, and it was a really good time. Strong recommend. Let me know, is there a Jared Leto in it? No. Okay, that's good, because that would have been a hard <laughs> pass for me. Yeah. No? Like that was the problem people had with the other Suicide Squad, right? I mean, I, that was one of them. They had many problems. Yeah. Yeah. I strongly recommend the pitch meeting for the first Suicide Squad movie. Whether you've seen it or not, a good refresher on it was perfect. There was a great movie about the art of editing and how the Suicide Squad failed in every single aspect. I, I got it. I'll see if I can look it up and link it in the show notes because it was really good. Like he pointed out, here's how you do editing correctly. Here's what they did in Suicide Squad. Why? Why, God, why? Yeah, I mean, it was directed by James Gunn, uh, executive directed or executive produced by Zack Snyder. Like it, it had the right people behind this movie. So cool. just buckle up. Enjoy a ridiculous two hours. It was a lot of fun. All right. Okay, that was my, my fun tangents. So. Steven, getting that DC money. That's right. I hope you share it with the rest of us. Yeah, Batman's wallet isn't as deep as you'd think. I didn't get paid nearly enough for that plug. So. Damn it. Well, at least get us a couple empanadas. All right, the less wrong posts we have this week start out with The Wonder of Evolution. Uh, I think. Can I please read the first couple of lines of this? Absolutely. The Wonder of Evolution is that it works at all. I mean that literally. If you want to marvel at evolution, that's what's marvel worthy. How does optimization first arise in the universe? If an intelligent agent designed nature, who designed the intelligent agent? Where is the first design that has no designer? The puzzle is not how the first stage of bootstrap can be super clever and super efficient. The puzzle is how it can happen at all. And then evolution resolves the infinite regression by not being super clever and super efficient, but by being stupid and inefficient and working anyway. This is the marvel. And yes, it is. When I was taking notes out of this, I basically only took out the first line and the last line. And I was like, <laughs> that's basically the entire post. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, as I put it before we started recording, evolution, we hate it. It's bad. It's it, like, but it's real. We're not saying it's not real. We just don't like it very much. Stop saying it's great. Yeah. It's like watching a janky ass, you know, hammer together, duct tape, hit car. You're like, how the fuck does this work? <laughs> it's amazing that it works. Yeah, that, it, that's it, not it, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's remarkably good for how, like, it's doing everything brainlessly, mm-hmm. but it's... It's uh, for me the whole post was just fun because it, it it kind of like carbon dates the era in which it was written. That's what I pulled out too. Oh, nice! Did you? I think you so. The, whole, the like, uh... ex- evolution does not explain the origin of life comment. Oh no, I just meant uh oh I mean yes I made the carbon date joke as an evolution reference, but um this was written what two thousand seven two thousand eight mm-hmm. yeah so kind of right when all this fun conversation was happening. I don't mm-hmm. know if people are still debating evolution and creation online. No, the atheism wars seem to have gone away i don't know maybe there are somewhere and we're just not in that scene I think anymore they are, but they've taken like the back seat to the culture all wars are the, the big other thing. culture war stuff yeah uh but like god i'm glad i go up 
grew up during the atheism wars. Those sounded like a lot more fun. Oh my god, it was so much fun. I loved it. It was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's like why I always had an issue with like wanting to put an evolution fish, for example, on my car. Like they have, you know, the Jesus fish, mm-hmm. and then the evolution fish just says evolution and has feet on it. And mm-hmm. I always thought that, like, oh, that's funny. But also, I don't want to say that I'm like in support of evolution because I don't. You know, if I were in charge, I'd totally get rid of this terrible system. I'm not trying to say that, like, no, God is stupid. Evolution is what's great. Evolution sucks. It's almost more shallow and vapid than, like, just putting, like, a Biden sticker on your car. Because <laughs> at least that is like, yeah, I can get behind this guy because I have to. But, you know, if, you're putting, sucks, if you're putting a Darwin Biden. fish on your car, all you're saying is, like, I'm pro-science. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's great, but come on. I, I personally like the sticker because it was, you know saying hey i'm on the atheism side in the atheism wars and i never did that but i did get the uh scarlet letter a patch that i put on my backpack which was you know my way of signaling what side i'm on i've actually never put a bumper sticker of any kind on my car because i'm worried about somebody like just damaging my car out of hate i've seen this happen so many times that's my thing i haven't had bumper stickers on in 10 years and i i like it and it also the car looks cleaner but the main reason I haven't had bumper stickers on is because I've been told many, many, many times that I drive like an asshole, and I don't want people to see a bumper <laughs> sticker for something I like and then be like, oh, asshole, support that thing. I like that thing less now. Or then to be able to spot your particular car at a parking lot versus like another, you know, similar make and model. Well, I mean, I, get, I don't think anyone's going to be like memorizing my car and chasing me down. I don't like intentionally cut people off or anything. I'm just like slightly more aggressive on the road than the idiots who... Never mind. I have opinions on how people should drive and you're, that it is too slow and stupid usually. You're I have the opinion that nobody should yes. drive and we should just have robot cars already. Please. I mean, yesterday we were driving to the Renaissance Festival and the dude driving was just staying in this slow lane. I'm like, the right lane, it's right there. It's been going faster than us for two miles. Why are you not in the right lane? <sighs> you, you could you could send out and watch the episode of Mythbusters where they do traffic myths and they do like a four-hour stretch of highway down California and... They, it's not, you know, they only have like four drivers. They can't do it over and over. But the time difference between picking a lane and sticking with it mm-hmm. and sweeping, swerving lanes negligent. Was, was negligible. Yeah, I know. Negligible, but not it, negligent. It feels yeah. better. Maybe, exactly. But, That's the thing. But then I just like, you know, I find the right speed. I'm usually a little over the speed limit. I'm in, I'm in the fast lane. But then you just chill out and enjoy the ride. Yeah, I'm not I go a chill about dude. five over generally. And like, I just... Stick it on cruise control. Yeah. I'm a chill dude in many respects. I'm not a chill dude when I'm trying to get somewhere because I feel every minute in a car is just a waste of my life waiting to get where I actually want to be. Put on podcasts. Yeah, or like do some like mindfulness meditation maybe. No. No? (laughs) I I don't know. I wouldn't want to zen out in the middle of a traffic thing and then kill someone. Well, you're not going to kill someone. You're probably going to kill someone more by driving aggressively (laughs) than not, but I realize we're really I'm going to kill multiple minutes of my life sitting in a car when I could be going a little faster. But you're right, we are off topic. No, no, it's fine. I just, my, I listen to podcasts or, you know, there's random things and turning in my head that are on the back burner like all right yeah let's filter some of these out what what have you been working on back of my brain and i learned yeah. to drive before podcasts were a thing so i guess i have so old I. habits ingrained okay well <laughs> you learn faster than i do apparently i just i had years of jobs where i drove for a living and i realized that the difference between right like just you know gunning it and trying to make every light and going around every slow person and then just taking it easy. That was just like stresses ni- you out so much more when you're yeah. Yeah. caring about all that shit. And when I was delivering pizzas through college, it was like 90 seconds of difference. And I'm like, oh, I can just be super chill and I get there in about the exact same amount of time. This is perfect. And you had to come to peace with it. Yeah. Mm. I also have my like two dead friends from car accidents. Yeah. And 
my time doing volunteer EMS and just scraping people off the side of the road where I was just mm. like, look, trying to get there 90 seconds faster results in this. Yeah. All right. Good God. Yeah. That's intense. I <laughs> is this really the... worth your own and other people's life or the damage of like property? It's not. This is why that. I want my next car to be a fully self-driving car. We're going to look back Me bizarrely too. at the time where like they used to let monkeys drive cars. Yeah. That For hell real. were they thinking? Humans were not made to go 75 miles an hour. We can't no. even comprehend things at that speed. We didn't evolve for this. Mm -hmm. Speaking that's why, of evolution. That's why highways are optical illusions. <laughs> nice segue. The, um... oh, wait, I, I have a, a, can I ruin that segue with a random? Ruin it. Well, it's already too late. But so. you need no, to optical do it. illusions. It, go you, for it. you need a second no, one. That I was going to say, back. with regarding to your voluntary EMS, I was going to say I couldn't handle the carnage. Speaking of carnage, the trailer for... Uh, the second Venom movie actually looks really good. Oh my God. The second what movie? Venom. Oh, I, I, I still need to watch the first one. Apparently I mean, it was the actually first pretty one good was such as long a pile as... of shit. No, no, that's the thing. So, all right, real quick. I didn't want to go this long. I just wanted to say, let there be carnage. But uh, So, I anticipate the movie will be a train wreck because Venom was way better than it had any right to be. What? I, I don't know why it was good. I, I didn't it was bad. I didn't like, I don't like what they did with Venom, okay. but you just ignore that and the movie was great. Oh, so, so if you like, don't think of it as a Venom movie, just like as a random alien movie? Think of it at, yeah, basically. So okay. like, because to me, Venom has always been the anti-Spider-Man. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing people so had a problem you, you, with. You take Spider-Man out, out of it entirely okay. and give Venom kind of a fresh take. And then it was really interesting and funny and mm. good. Right. And so if they construct, if Lightning can strike twice, Venom, uh, or Let There Be Carnage will be great. All right, that's that's. So is this actually going to be Venom versus Carnage? Or Venom and Carnage, I'm not quite sure. Probably some verses. I think they were always verses. Like there was never... Ah, that's not true. There was probably some storyline where they had to team up for something. They're baddies. They're, yeah, you know. but they're like, but they're Venom not... is like possible anti-hero baddie, and like Carnage is just pure murder everything baddie. Yeah, Car okay. Carnage was, the, the guy that he's, that the symbiote is possessing there was a terrorist named Cletus Cassidy. And so <laughs> he, he already was like, let's go kill people. Whereas Eddie Brock was just a reporter, you know, who, who wanted to be Peter Parker. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, what happens when you give a, a you know, a psychopathic terrorist super alien powers? Well, you're going to get Carnage. Cool. Okay, well. So the one thing that is not entirely related to this post, because we already covered the post, evolution, it's crazy that it works. Uh, but the thing that Stephen mentioned on was that uh, it, it harps, harps on? Eh, it reiterates the point uh, made in the evolution wars when uh, creationists and atheists were fighting. It uh, reiterates the thing that evolution does not explain the origin of life. Uh, first replicator does not come from a replicator. Evolution describes statistical tens in trends in replication. Uh, basically goes over the whole thing, you know, um, that the evolution doesn't need to explain the origin of life. It's a separate process from abiogenesis. And, uh, like, it just seems completely out of place reading this at this point in time. Because it's like, who cares what this has have to do with anything? But, like, when you read it at the time, it was absolutely, like, both necessary and expected that something like that would be in a uh, an article about the early origins of evolution. And, like, it's... It was nostalgic. It was nostalgic. It was... It also felt kind of weird that, like, that thing was such a big deal 20 years ago and now has basically disappeared. Like, I wonder if the sequences were written nowadays, if instead of um, having some of this atheism stuff on it, if it would have culture war threads throughout it. Mm. See, that's why I'm glad they happened when they did. Yeah. yeah. And I got off I got off social media basically when uh, the culture war really kicked off in, like, 2015, 16. So. I think if they did, it would probably be a very light-handed touch because, you know, Science doesn't have too terribly much to say about culture, at least not not nearly in the same way as evolution and and uh, creationism. I think they'd find room to fight. I mean, it kind of all it all like the culture wars did 
kind of shatter the uh, skeptic and new atheism movements. Yeah, but I mean, they shattered them specifically because you can't go and say like, you know, science shows this is how evolution works. You're an idiot creationist, you know? It's it's much more fuzzy, more social sciencey, which is, you know, squishy as it is. Yeah. I'd love to see a scientific take on the culture wars, but the thing is that, well, I think the whole problem with the culture wars is that it also coincided with cancel culture being a thing. Right. There's, if there was a scientific a take, the science would get canceled. But, um... Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that I think is a lot of what's happening there. Cancel science. Like, uh, I was catching up on some of the mind killer, and you were talking about, like, some transgender stuff. And then I was also just listening to, there's a Radiolab episode, the most recent one, I think, that is just called Gonads. Oh, I haven't listened to Radiolab in going on two and a half years now. Cause oh, they... yeah. They've been recycling some of their content. And... Oh, that's good. Some of the older stuff. Oh, that's good. I thought that was why you were going to say you hadn't listened to it. No, no, because they, I mean, they did the same thing that pretty much every NPR show has done, except so far Planet Money, but even Planet Money has been starting to lean that way recently, and it's so what bumming me thing? out. The trend is just like everything is about anti-racism and oh, or yeah. whatever about the current culture war stuff. war stuff is, yeah. But, um, it's like, why why is why is Radiolab, which is ostensibly a science show, entirely about culture war things? So, yeah. I think they have a good take on culture war stuff, or at least... um. They're able to also tackle, here's what science has to say about this The Gonads episode was an older one, wasn't it? It, it think, may have been a recycled one. Like, I think uh, I remember listening to that one, and it was still pretty good. Yeah, I think it was because the Olympics is happening now, and then they were like, here's the thing about the Olympics okay. that we did a bit ago that's like still relevant. And it was um, basically, there's a woman from India who's really good at running, and they did a gender test on her or like they didn't really tell her but they're, they're just like okay we're gonna do a blood test yeah and i remember then this suddenly it was like you're disqualified because you're really a man and she's like what the fuck i was born female raised as a female like i seem to have female like sex characteristic like what what are you talking about mm-hmm. and it was just a uh, hyper androgenism which is not even really a thing like so they i like that they do actually get into the science and uh yeah, that was an interesting. It's just much show. more complicated. Like that, that, you know, as a transgender person, I get pissed off when there's so much sort of pushback from even like the people that ostensibly should be like quote unquote on my side, the left. Mm-hmm. But like people get real uncomfortable when you start talking about like actually there are biological bases for these things, mm-hmm. or like we might not know all of them yet, but clearly there's like things that map to reality that like that causes and effects are happening, and maybe we could look at those to try to get a better understanding. They're just like, oh no. Well, and you, can't look has, the like, science. you who has a vested interest in science understanding this properly will, will never ye fear. People who will will be offended on be, your behalf if anyone investigating investigating any of these questions. Lest, lest I don't anything want come them out. to do that. I know, but that, yeah, that's, that's the... the <laughs> that's the bad thing. Yeah, it's the funny bad bad part of it. So, uh, like, I wonder if evolution ends with, let us dispose of the idea that evolution is a wonderful designer or a wonderful conductor of species destinies, which we human beings ought to imitate shutters <laughs> for human intelligence to try to imitate evolution as a designer would be like a sophisticated modern bacterium trying to imitate the first replicator as a biochemist <laughs> as th huxley darwin's bulldog put it quote let us understand once and for all that the ethical progress of society depends not on imitating the cosmic process still less in the running away from it but in combating it yeah we must kill god huxley didn't say that because he disbelieved in evolution but because he understood it all too well and Good. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. I meant that argue in a agreeing sort of way, as if you're a pirate no, at the Renaissance. So. 
You're still, just still channeling, yeah, the Renaissance. Also. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been less than 12 hours for me. No, that's not true. Less than 24. Though. I haven't been to the Renaissance Fair yet. I gotta go this year. That's really fun. Yeah, I went last year. I had a great time. Have you seen the uh, Heroines in Disguise show? No. Oh, it's great. Is it like trapeze artists doing stuff? No, no. It's um, just three chicks being um, really raunchy, telling jokes, singing raunchy songs. You know, that kind of shit. Well, part of it's in the sky. No, heroin's in disguise. Oh, in disguise. Yeah. I thought it was in the sky. Yeah, right. <laughs> Very similar sound. Hmm. Maybe I mumbled my words too. Nah, I probably heard what I wanted to hear and I was picturing like three Wonder Woman fighting in, like on uh, tight like rocket ropes. Boots. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, rocket boots would make it Renaissance fair, but you know, I could, I could imagine what he, like ropes or pulleys. They had or... rockets during the Renaissance. They just weren't very good. <laughs> what? The first space flight, remember, was some Chinese emperor who like tied a whole bunch of fireworks to his throne and then ascended to the heavens no yes he ascended straight to heaven by dying no well he disappeared that sounds awesome (laughs) and i'm gonna have to research this later because holy shit that's great i remember hearing about this i really hope this isn't apocryphal but like this is a thing i've heard of repeatedly and i've always just found delightful We'll have to we'll have to try and find any uh, conclusive thing on it because I've definitely heard the similar story, but I don't know how much of it is just like what made it into legend, right? Google filled in <laughs> Chinese Emperor Rocket and it filled in chair for me, so I was like, apparently it's a thing. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. But yeah, I'll read more about it later. That's fantastic. I mean, if anybody says there was some historical figure that did this insane dumb thing, like my priors are probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> people were stupid. Checks out. All right. See, I would have put one of my my peasants, or you know, paid one of my my. Lo- my Do you really a, want a, lord. a peasant to go to heaven before you? How about one of the lords I didn't like? <laughs> you know. There we go. Again, the expectation was he was going to get to meet the gods, as opposed to. I let him take the first ship, and then <laughs> if if it works, then I'd like. All right, well. But obviously, what if he or... hucks up God before you get there, and like he's the real emperor when you get there, and you're like, oh, fuck! Yeah. I forgot they believed they might actually like get to God. I thought they were just trying to make cool stories like for their own mythos going forward. Yeah, well, they actually—that's actually... a cool story for his mythos. Yeah, but I figure I if, it, if it worked, it then you just write him out of history because you're the emperor, and then you say you did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, would anybody remember Wanhu if he hadn't done this? Probably, like Not people well. that learn Chinese history, maybe Chinese. People, if they are taught their history in school, I don't know. I believe they are taught their history in school, but also it's very long, and there's the romance of the three kingdoms, and it's just... And it may be edited by the Communist Party for whatever makes them, you know, look best. So that's why I say if they're taught that. Speaking of stupid ideas, like going to space in a chair. What else is stupid, Stephen? Evolutions. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Evolutions are stupid, but work anyway is the next blog post. Stephen, you started it. You want to kick us off? Yeah, he opens by saying he pluralizes evolutions because there are, I'm paraphrasing him, but there are as many evolutions as evolutions as there are species yes. that... Um, like there's us and there's octopi. Right. And there's, there's tardigrades. What the hell are tardigrades? Predators, prey, there's, you know, uh, host versus infections and, and that sort of thing. So, Did you guys see the latest thing about tardigrades is that they can survive being shot? Um when I read this, I thought that they somehow managed to get these microscopic animals on a target and shoot them. But what <laughs> they actually did was they, they made them the bullet and then they shot them out of the gun uh, and they survived. So like... It doesn't surprise me. Sometimes evolution does a really great job. 
Yeah, yeah, but these things aren't doing anything cool. I mean, they're doing all kinds of cool they're shit. They're not doing we, anything cool. They survive in the appreciate. vacuum of space, in acid, in like. Yeah, call me, call water. me when they build a computer and go right. to go to, go like, to the moon. Surviving is okay, I guess. <laughs> Surviving's tight. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like but. just just coming from the perspective of a very squishy human, we're we're terrible at surviving. Yeah, but oh, if yeah. you have to give up your brain to survive, I don't think that'd be worth it. I think they have little proto brain things going on. Yeah, they don't have a human brain. I'd have to give up my brain for a little proto brain, <laughs> and that's not worth it. You might as well just kill me. Well, maybe we can uh, work our way to tardigrade humanoid hybrids at some point, which yeah. just sounds horrible. But It does. Maybe uh, you. Luckily, evolution won't do it for us because evolutions are slow. Yes. Uh, I, I like how the, there was another phrase I meant to grab here uh, about cross-purposes of evolutions and stuff. Fox evolutions work at cross-purposes to rabbit evolutions. Yeah, but yeah. then neither can, neither can talk to snake evolution to learn about how to build venomous fangs because yeah. it would be great for either one of them, mm-hmm. right? But you, that's just not how this works. Yeah. And because this isn't a long post on the macro scale anyway bacteria are really great at just hey you want a gene i've got a gene yeah that's true (laughs) yeah swapping around what's fun is that most of like the way i learned evolution was from posts online like i don't think it was yeah right it wasn't like taboo in school i did have a good high school teacher that talked about it but that was in like junior year of high school yeah and so you know like i learned about the structure of the atom you know way earlier on and this is the structure of Which the atom wrong, equivalent the way, for biology. It was probably the ping pong ball. It was the Bohr like, model, yeah. But yeah. I mean, it, it was it was the the workable model for an eighth grader. Yeah, right? I guess like there are levels where there are different physics models or whatever models that sort of are simplified, not quite right, but get you in, moving in the right direction. That I guess I don't unendorse. Not I, to I, I never learned the Einstein physics equations, but I learned the Newtonian ones, right? Because they're close enough for me getting around day to day. Yeah. Not to beat a dead horse or anything, but this is yet another reason people don't need to go to high school and shouldn't be forced to because <laughs> the evolution you learn in high school doesn't stick. And if you're actually interested, you learn it at places other than high school. I just, I think it was fun because I, it, it felt like kind of like this thing out, you know, was this big, mysterious, complicated secret. Mm-hmm. And then I bought a 300 something page book called The Greatest Show on Earth by Richard Dawkins. Awesome. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I can explain evolution succinctly and I think adequately in a paragraph, but you did it great in a book and I loved it and I recommend it. But I was like, I thought this was some big, complex, mysterious, um, controversial thing. No, this is couldn't be more straightforward. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. No, it's just, you know, change over time. Yeah. And then, like, the stuff myth. being selected or anti-selected for, and then that being what happens. Limited limited resources, imperfect replication, and, uh, yeah. Like, the, the minute I heard about the theory of evolution, and I was raised Roman Catholic, and God did it, and et cetera, and even, like, when I was taught evolution, I was taught it alongside... Uh, Creationism? Not well. The, the creationism disguised as science. Intelligent, uh, design. yeah, intelligent mm-hmm. design. They had the they had to teach the controversy at my school. <laughs> but, but the funny thing was, the teacher I could tell was not into it. So sort of like she'd be talking about, here's the way that like you know science thinks things work, and then and then I am mandated to tell you <laughs> that some people think that God did it, and <laughs> that that's what happened, and uh, I I being forced to tell you this, and that is the thing that people think, and they can think what they want, I guess. You won the lottery there. A lot of people get the other version of that, right? I know. Mm-hmm. Well, I got both, but there was just the one particular year that I think that really stood out to me, mostly just because I was like sitting there trying not to giggle as the teacher clearly was just sort of like, had this face like she was holding a dead fish mm-hmm. out at like length <laughs> and trying to pretend that everything was fine. But there was this sort of like squinched up nose, like it was like, yeah. I feel gross having to do this. And I was just like, yeah, you should. I'm required to tell you that and open quote this and then, you know, all right, and then we're going to move on back to the real thing. Now we're going to dissect some frogs anyway. (laughs) 
So but the uh, next year they were prohibited from saying that they have to say this. So it's like, I'm not being compelled to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Are you allowed to, I guess, I mean, you would be at that point lying because you are being compelled. I, I think talking about an NDA and this is an NDA, but you know, I, there's probably, I, mean, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm sure that if like, if you're, if they're, if they pass something saying, you can't say we were making you tell you, tell people this. It's like, okay, I won't say that you're making me tell people this. I'm definitely not being forced to tell you like, all right, take me to court, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. He also says that evolutions are slow as part of this, um, whole evolutions are stupid post how slow are they suppose <laughs> there's a beneficial mutation which conveys a fitness advantage of three percent which is actually pretty darn good for a single uh, mutation mm. on average bearers of this gene have 1.03 times as many children as non-bearers which is what three percent means assuming that the mutation spreads at all how long will it take to spread through the whole population depends on the population size a gene conveying three percent fitness advantage spreading through a population of a hundred thousand would require an average of six hundred 700, sorry, 768 generations to reach universality in the gene pool, which is a lot. Um, it goes and, more into this equation, but uh, I feel like it doesn't make good audio. Yeah, and also points out a mutation that conveying a 3% advantage has a 6% chance of spreading, at least on that one occasion. In a population of a million, you may have to wait a hundred generations for another chance, and then it still only has a 6% chance of fixating. So it's, it's very slow. Yeah, there's no evolution fairy who can watch the gene pull and say, hmm, that gene seems to be spreading rapidly. I should distribute it to everyone. And in a human, mar in a human market economy, someone who's legitimately getting 20% returns on investment, especially if there's an obvious clear mechanism behind it, can rapidly acquire more capital from other investors. Others will start duplicating those enterprises. Genes, though, have to spread without stock markets or banks or imitators. As if Henry Ford had to make one car, sell it, buy the parts for 1.01 more cars on average, <laughs> sell those cars, and keep doing this until he was up to a million cars. Uh, he also says that anything that requires previous genes to work is going to take even longer to go because uh, if you need an allele B, which depends on allele A, you first have to wait for allele A uh, being advantageous of itself and take a thousand generations to fix it in the gene pool, and only then can allele B start rising to fixation. And again, would we'll take another thousand generations. So just really, really, really slow. Not so bad if you're a bacteria, but pretty yes. bad if you're people. Yeah, All if right. your generation is, you know, a day or two. My, my, my high school uh, education is, is fading. Remind me of the difference between an allele and a gene. Um, a gene is a single coding pair, right? Mm -hmm. And an allele is an actual uh, combination of genes that has an effect on the organism. Yes? Uh, yeah, that seems right. Okay. So a gene would just be any base pair? I believe so. Mm, maybe. Yeah, no, we can matter. look this up. Uh, I, an allele is definitely a combination of things that... Um, that... Yeah, it's sort of like it codes for a phenotype. Yeah. Which, uh... Oh, I can just look this up on my... Oh, no. Google Docs doesn't let me just do look up. Fine. <laughs> Should we like timestamp this? Oh no, an allele isn't a single base. I mean, a gene isn't a single base pair. It is uh, a sequence yeah. of base pairs that encodes a protein. And then an allele must be something. It's bigger than that. It, it's like a, a bunch of genes, or like it's a like it, it sort of it encodes for a phenotype where genes are sort of the lower level below the, that. Phenotype being the the expression of yeah. the of the genetic makeup. Allele one of two or more alternate forms of a gene that arise by mutation and are found at the same place on a chromosome. Oh, I, yeah. Okay, okay so an, an allele is a variation right? on a gene. Yeah. Yeah, so we can each have genes for uh, head hair, mm -hmm. but uh, we, most of us have dark hair, but if one of us is blonde, I have the blonde allele, you have the, the brunette allele. Okay, got it. Okay. 
Okay, I, I knew I knew the difference, but I forgot. Okay. <laughs> but the whole point of this is that evolution is working just... Did he use the phrase blind idiot God yet? Or does that come up later? In the that, was... that was in the previous sequences when yeah. we were That's talking right, about... Yeah. Um... I'm surprised he didn't use it in these two posts because it's just... You could keep just putting it in, in glowing neon letters every paragraph and it would be like, remember, blind idiot, you know, design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Although, like, it's a blind idiot only from sort of a human values like the whole point of i I feel like i kind of feel bad that i don't think we spent enough time on or did enough justice to the evolution as a alien god okay um well we got a minute now yeah it was just like the main point of that one was that this is just the way evolution works has nothing to do with human values or Mm -hmm. like any kind of values that we can really understand it just cares about uh what was it inclusive reproductive fitness yeah and it's it's a reproductive fitness maximizer, yeah. and that's all it cares about. So it's almost like a rogue AI that just like you know you gave it one thing and it's going to maximize that, and you could end up having paperclip effects. Yeah. But uh, how many grandchildren will this gene produce? Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I mean, what, yes, a blind and idiot are both kind of loaded terms, but they're and that's well, intentional. Also, blind is a a good term for it as well because it's not like evolution is intentionally maximizing for how many children will be produced or grandchildren will be produced. It's kind just of a like a product of it. Yeah, it's just like existing. here's a mutation and then the thing reproduces and either it dies or it doesn't and that determines what has more children, but there was never like a goal in mind. See, I what's fun is I left high school knowing a bit about evolution and entered college being uh educated enough about it to to um not argue with teachers, but kind of argue with teachers. And uh, not even about like ones that were anti-evolution, but ones that were just like wrong. So I remember one, and it wasn't a biology class. Someone said something about, you know, like, oh yeah, there's the species of butterfly that, you know, this area was ravaged by wildfires and changed the the way that all the trees looked. Oh, and this, it wasn't this, wildfires. I think it was the, when coal production became really big. Are you talking England. about the pepper moth? I have no idea, but that sounds right. But the trees went from being white bark to dark bark just because of all the ash. Yeah, so the butterflies Industrialization made everything black, so these moths that had been white started to turn black. Yeah, and so the teacher was like, yeah, and you know, that's because there was, you know, like this, um, he he used evolutionary pressure in a more anthropomorphic anthropomorphic sense than it should have been used. And I was like, no, no, evolution didn't like make them darker because that was a good idea to fit the environment all the light ones died yeah. right and i was like yeah that's just they it you happen to get dark variants and those ones are more successful because they were harder to find and he was like yeah but there might have been like kind of like a push and like there's no pushing yeah. there's nothing only to push. pulling there's just the, massive there's, murder there's only pulling i like I've that a lot like i wish i thought to put it that way <laughs> evolution as a system of non-random death yeah where like that's the best it's, way it's not it. the well it it doesn't encapsulate everything that's going on but like because there's also it non-random to, reproducing. Yeah, yeah, well, it helps to push against the whole, you know, um, sort of grandiose evolution is this force for good. It's like mm. sort of, it's like, you know, a replacement god. There's this like, this force that just, yeah, like it pushes you to be better. First of all, better, like by what, it, it makes you like better able to survive in your environment, which is changing all the time, but that doesn't mean you're better. Like there's no evolution that has made an animal better objectively than it, like the previous state it's just like the environment's changed this one's better at surviving in this environment and it doesn't ever get... make an animal better it just makes the yeah. species better but like the, you know you see these like on average. pictures of um the march of evolution where it shows like mm. a ape slowly becoming a human and yeah. it's supposed to be this it, it has this like upward trajectory of like and I just like get pissed off about that because I'm like evolution doesn't give a shit about making anything better mm-hmm. <laughs> if it just wants you to have more kids. It's it doesn't value. want anything. Like it, it's like, yeah, 
it's it's as valueless as water flowing downhill. Like yeah. this is just what happens. These and are the ones that didn't die. Yeah, they were the best at not dying. Did we already have an episode about you are in Newcomb's problem? Mm, we I don't, talked no. about the double box experiment at some point, I think. Yeah, but have we talked about the one where um, the idea is that Azathoth has put you inside the boxes? No. All right. I kind of want this to be our next episode because it works so well with um, the the evolution thing that we're talking about right yeah. now. I've been trying to ask people what they want to see more of in Basing Conspiracy, like just on the Discord, uh, and I just keep hearing more. We want you to talk more about cool stuff that you're excited about, so okay. I'm oh, totally yeah. down to talk about a cool thing that you're excited about. I'm into it. Okay. Alrighty. Then, um, okay, we can talk more about that after the show, because right now we should continue on with the actual show. Oh, wait, one last thing <laughs> about the sequence, not about off-topic stuff. About the sequence itself, um, he says, humans can do things that evolutions probably can't do, period, over the expected lifetime of the universe. As the eminent biologist Cynthia Kenyon once put it at a dinner, I had the honor of attending, ooh, name drop in there, but pretty awesome, uh, one grad student can do things in an hour that evolution could not do in a billion years. According to biologists' best current knowledge, evolutions have invented a fully rotating wheel on a grand total of three occasions. Ooh. Yeah. Well done. I mean, it is, you know, it's impressive if it, again, freely rotating wheels kind of just happens naturally. That's kind of cool. That is actually but, pretty damn cool. But it's cool. like, good for you, evolution. It took you a billion <laughs> years, but you got it done three times. Good good on you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I... I don't know who Cynthia Kenyon is, but like I never understood why name dropping was gauche. I get it if you're doing it nonstop, like Tahani from The Good Place. Right, right, <laughs> but yeah. There, you know, if you if you happen to say like, you know, I met Richard Dawkins at a at a conference. Yeah. that happened. It yeah. was awesome. Yeah, um, I think it, it really depends on your like incentives for doing that because right. like Tahani in The Good Place was. <laughs> Just sort of like bringing up people that sh- that were famous that she'd hung out with out of context explicitly so that people would think like, oh, oh wow, you're so cool that you know all these cool people. Mm-hmm. But if you're bringing it up to be like, hey, I met this cool person and it was awesome and let me tell you some things about them or like it's super relevant to the thing we were just talking about, then like whatever. That's just I've, having a conversation. Yeah. Every now and then, like if, if um, writing workshops come up or Brandon Sanderson or something, I sometimes slip in that yeah i had dinner with him and he's a really cool guy with oh, brandon sanderson? sanderson yeah yeah well he never told me that <laughs> what he wrote the last three wheel, the last three wheel of time books and a lot of other books uh, too that yeah, are extremely stuff. well yeah. you didn't know that but I he, he, he read books that i wrote he wrote books that i read although that yeah. would be much cooler that would be cool yeah but seems yeah, like any yeah, ash needs to name drop more i what, what i'm I'll taking see. away i guess okay yeah i know it was like three you guys got to hang out with robin hansen before i was on the show and i'm still like oh yeah yeah didn't you, weren't you at one of the, no, you weren't in Denver no. yet at the time when he no. visited us. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Next time he's in the neighborhood. But yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Uh, so yes, don't praise evolutions one millimeter more than they deserve. <laughs> yeah. This was the thing that I saw happen a lot too back during the evolution of wars where people, again, because it was just, I'm pro-science, fuck you. It was a lot like today's conversation, but of, in a, you know, with different words. Okay. And you just made more supportive noises. And it's like, no, no, evolution is, is awesome. It does all these things. And I remember people just being super vociferous, like intensely defensive and argumentative in favor of how awesome this is. And it wasn't necessarily just evolution, but everything science. Yeah. And it's like, you're, you're kind of fighting the right fight, but you're doing it on the wrong terrain. You don't need to be having like, this part of the argument. That's the whole, like, there's nothing I hate more than like a bad argument for a side that I agree with. Yeah. Because, yeah, I kept seeing that thing too, where it was like the religionists were sort of coming in with the premise of your god is bad you're you're and like you know you're really a religion science mm-hmm. it has its own 
things that you have to take on faith, like evolution. And then like, you're trying to say that evolution is this God that did all these cool things. And it's just like, no, no, we're trying to say that this is what like evidence has shown has happened and is continuing to happen. We have lots of proof. You could go see the fossils. You could look at genes. We've like, and we don't support this though. We're not saying this is the way things should be done (laughs) or like, this is our God and we have to accept the way things are done. In fact, like it, really excited about the possibility of us like working with CRISPR to make some of the dumb decisions that evolution has made less dumb or you know just getting robot bodies and not having to deal with any of the squishy shit that would be awesome yeah would evolution work if things didn't die of old age i think it still would because there's other things that would still kill people well, evolution works Pray because of would still reproduction be not because of longevity yeah i mean if you live to be 300 who cares if you're not having kids anymore there's tortoises and jellyfish and some other animals, crabs, I forget, that don't really have any natural death span. Like, they can just sort of keep living forever, but, like, if they're not reproducing anymore, who cares? Evolution doesn't care. Yeah, it's about, if you take the gene-centric view, it's just about how many more of these ve- you know gene delivery vehicles can I create to run around the, the, the planet. I guess the question would be, what I'm trying to get at is, does evolution have an incentive is the worst word ever because again it's anthropomorphized anthropomorphizing would evolution be less efficient if any individual organism if all individual organisms could continue reproducing and living without a fixed end date that's a really cool question i'd love to do that experiment but we don't know i I would have to give it some thought i can see an argument being made both ways because on the one hand if things weren't dying of old age, they would be continuing to consu- consume resources that every- everyone else is competing over. It'd be really right? hard yeah. for the but next generation to get a foot in. Uh, yes, but also if they're like the winners of the current competition, that probably means they're either the biggest or strongest or have the sharpest claws or have the biggest brain. Like, it'd be great if we still had an Einstein or a Feynman around to be having more kids, right? Yeah. And I'm sure any tigers out there would be like, man, I really wish we still had the biggest, strongest tiger around to make more tiger babies that are big and strong. That just makes me wonder... If, like, Einstein's genes are still around somewhere. I mean, I know that... I'm pretty sure I heard about it. Right? Yeah, yeah. But, like, also, I don't know. How much have it been is, reverting back to the question. mean? Like, we definitely probably shouldn't dig Einstein up and harvest his cells. <laughs> I, I, maybe we should. I don't people with them. Well, if they wanted Not to volunteer. against their will, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, if, but if you're, if you're selecting genes for your kids, be like, hey, do you want some of Einstein's? We've got Hawking, too. Honestly, yeah. as long as we got that technology, maybe just, like, clone einstein because if you're mixing his genes with someone else's genes then you're gonna have some sub einstein genes mixed in there yeah but then you might like want to get some variants in there it's true because there's ways that einstein genes could have been better we can get an einstein and then we can get like a uh, von neumann and gender flip one of them or sex flip one of them and then mix up their genes and then see what we get. <laughs> Just make an Einstein and a girl Einstein. And yeah. Then like, of course, they'd fall in love because they're both the same person. Oh, they'd be like Loki. Or just do a... <laughs> Wait, is that spoilers? Uh, is it too I early for spoilers? I don't know. Maybe you could do like a spoiler warning. If... I'm in favor of doing a vault Tech style uh, science experiment where you just get like 150 Einsteins and put them in a, in a vault for, <laughs> for a century and see what happens. And make half of them female Einsteins though? No, they just clone themselves. Oh, okay. like like the like the Gary Vault from Fallout New Vegas or three. I forget which was one. Was Gary able to clone himself though? He must have been. He was still running around. Have either of you? Okay. Have I managed to convince either of you to read the Bobiverse books? I want to read the them. Premise. Yeah, like, I've it, heard it's this a lot person of fun. is literally a von Neumann probe, and it's this dude who was like a good programmer and kind of a cool guy, and gets resurrected from cryo, and yeah, it is 
That's the premise. Uploaded, put into a von Neumann probe, and like go forth and find colonization targets for Earth, which is having some troubles, and make more bobs. And because of quantum randomness, hmm. the the clones are not quite the same. Some of them are just like Bob, but a bit more serious, and then some of them are just psychotic. <laughs> and it's it's delightful. I love it. Cool. It sounds like they're crazy, and they might say if they were talking to each other, "Hey, you're crazy like us." Oh, because that is the topic today. That was a good segue. Uh, it was okay. Really quickly before we move on, our topics, our less wrong sequences for next time are natural selection, speed limit, and complexity bound, which is one, and beware of Stephen Jay Gould, which is the other. Yeah, that second one doesn't ring a bell. I don't know if I read the second one. Okay. I, I might have at some point, but I don't know if I've read these in order. All right, have fun. <laughs> All right. But yes, on to our main subject, Crazy Bobs. <laughs> yeah, Um. so this is a article that was posted on Astral Codex 10, which is the resurrected Slate Star Codex. And a thing I want to ask, do, do either of you know if there's, like, is it ASX? Because, like, it used to be SSC mm-hmm. as the, you know, acronym. Because mm-hmm. that's a big mouthful, Slate Star Codex or Astral Codex 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I have always seen is ASX, yes. Okay, so, like, Roman numeral 10, ASX. Yes. Yeah. What's the S? Oh. Um, no, uh, the X is in 10. Oh, I'm sorry. ACX. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, A-C-X. can we just keep calling it SSC? I kind of want to, but I feel like... But it is a new generation of it. get used to the yeah. new name. I, I like that myself, but yeah, eventually there's going to be people a decade down the line being like, who are these old folks and why are they calling it a <laughs> sequence of letters that has nothing to do with what it actually is? Someone told them to shut up and get off our lawn. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, ACX. So, um... This is a book review where Scott is talking about the book Crazy Like Us by Ethan Waters. And uh, the subtitle for the book is The Globalization of the American Psyche. And you wanted to talk about this. What interested you about this in particular? It just is, I think, a very classic Slate Star Codex piece where Scott does great book reviews. Like, I feel like I've learned more from Scott's book reviews than I would have if I just read the book Hmm. without any analysis beforehand or whatever um i think that's a fair i think that's a fair way to put a lot of his book reviews oh yeah i haven't read most of the books that he reviews but like getting a succinct ish summary of all the main points with some thoughtful stuff interjected in is a really good way to digest what the content of this 400 page book would have been like i'll never read seeing like a state right because i don't need to i feel like i got a good (laughs) understanding of it well i can say that i have both uh already read some of the books he's reviewed and gotten just a totally new take on them when he reviewed them and also, like, a really good example is uh, the one about diets, uh, The Hungry Brain. Yeah. Um, I hadn't heard of that one before. He did a great book review of it. And then, like, I went and read the whole book, and I feel like I got way more out of reading the whole book than I would have if I hadn't started with his review. Huh. Like, Scott's just really good at breaking these down. So let's, let's break this down. All right. So it is basically about how um, the U.S., idea specifically i think it is mostly american uh, psychiatry uh is exporting our ideas of what mental health is and what the treatment for it should look like to the rest of the world right yeah he calls it um falling biodiversity like specifically um in the context of he says sometimes we apply the same metaphor to the human world e.g falling linguistic biodiversity when minority languages get replaced by english or whatever but in crazy like us uh, Waters is sounding the alarm about folic psychiatric biodiversity, which uh, 
means basically looks like everybody around the world is starting to have the same mental illnesses to understand them in the same way and to be applying the same treatments to them which is an interesting observation but um uh hang on i'm trying to remember if somebody wants to talk while i sure i found his most interesting section to be the first section which was about anorexia in hong kong because that also seemed like the most uh clear-cut i guess sort of section um, where it was pointed out that until the 90s, there was almost no anorexia in Hong Kong. And I guess we should say 1990s, although I don't think there's any chance of us being listened to post-2090, right? Hopefully. We, we should caveat. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just in case people are listening to this in the year two, not 2000, 2100. Yeah, this is in the 1990s we're talking about. Until then, there was almost no anorexia in Hong Kong. Uh, there was some, but the cases were extremely rare, and they were generally people who, like knew that they weren't eating and were really distressed by this because they were losing weight and it was very unhealthy and they were going to a psychologist to help them figure out how they can start eating again. Yeah, but it looked nothing like anorexia in Western culture where it's about um, patriarchal beauty norms and starving yourself in order to fulfill those concerns about obesity, etc. This was depressed people not eating enough. and Yeah, it didn't have much to do with like body image dysmorphia, I guess, would be the best way to call it. But uh, that all changed on November 24th, 1994, when a photogenic schoolgirl collapsed and died on a busy Hong Kong street in the middle of rush hour. Which, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know. Imagine just some chick just falling down and dying in front of you. Yeah. And she'd somehow managed to, like, not get hospitalized at any time before this. She just went straight to dying. That's pretty... I think that's unusual for anorexia. Yeah, usually they they faint or something and get taken to a hospital before that goes to straight death. They bring that up a bunch of times in the review, too, about... Like, it is a thing that keeps coming up where it's like, yeah, like, anorexia is usually diagnosed early, or it's one of those things that, like, it's hard to hide because you keep fainting. Yeah. Or, like, you look incredibly unhealthy. Yeah. Uh, so. But it turns out that, you know, this was captured on camera, made all the news, like, it was a big media thing, uh, but it was also a condition that most Hong Kongers had never heard of. So... Western experts were flown in to hold public awareness campaigns where they went on TV and said that it's this debilitating condition with the patriarchy-based beauty standards, all that stuff, like you said. And it was no doubt rampant in Hong Kong, and it was important that everyone be aware of how rampant it is so the problems of ignorance and underdiagnosis could be fixed. And after a few months of this, there were loads of anorexia cases, hundreds of times as many, before the public awareness campaign. But uh, all the psychiatrists there were like, this is fucking bizarre because there just wasn't this before the public awareness campaign um and it i wouldn't want to say the consensus necessarily but there is a very strong uh suspicion that this was literally caused by the public awareness campaign by by making people aware of this and then they started that was the thing i was trying to find because uh the premise of the book was this sort of uh export of western concepts and treatments etc of mental health disorders, mm-hmm. but um, I just sort of want to skip ahead and read the first bit of the conclusion, where I should say, like, it's number five is the conclusion, the first four, we can go back into them because some of them are, like, still super interesting, but it, it's sort of this re- repetition of, this thing didn't exist in this country, or at least in the form that, like, we all know and love it, and uh, I think sarcasm. it'd be good to hit on some of them a little bit. Oh, I, I, I do want to, but, like, um, the thing that Scott thought was interesting, though, well, he says, overall, I was only moderately interested in the book's thesis about globalization of American concepts of mental health. Uh, 
I was more interested in a sort of subthesis that kept recurring under the surface. Does naming and pointing to a mental health problem make it worse? Right. And he says this was the clearest in Hong Kong, where a seemingly very low base of anorexia exploded as soon as people started launching mental health awareness campaigns, saying it was a common and important disease. And, yeah, then we can go back and... Uh, I think you're jumping right to the grand finale. Yeah, I mean, we're doing I'm all this teasing and leading up and flirting, and you're like, bam, here's the penis. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like uh, that's the thing that I also am the most interested in here and want to talk about with these different cases. Like, let's see, there was um, anorexia. There was the, also. The second one was depression in Japan. Yes, but uh, he quickly, at the before the we move off anorexia, there was also apparently in the 19th century. Um, neurotic illnesses among women, which were often called hysteria, which is now a very bad word. Um, but there were things like nervous tics and paralysis of the limbs, blindness, amnesia, all those sorts of things, none of which are around today anymore, interestingly enough, as symptoms of depression or anxiety. Yeah, and like the premise there was just that like there was this concept that hysteria was this thing women got. Um, it literally means wandering womb, I think, yeah. in Greek. Yeah. Because people the Greeks who, didn't know how bodies worked, they, I guess. Yeah, they didn't quite know how bodies worked, so they thought that the womb was just this sort of organ that wasn't attached to any of the rest of your body and floated around and could cause all kinds of problems if it was in the wrong place. Or I don't th- understand. That's, like, that's why ladies are so nuts, right, right fellas? I mean, you know... Because of, of that crazy womb that floats around and haunts if, you. If nothing else, I assume <laughs> soldiers know enough about anatomy to know that, like, where the heart is that you need to stab, where the lungs are. Have you ever seen a body split open? Because it just looks like a big gelatinous mess. If you don't know what you're looking for and you haven't looked at anatomical charts your whole life or dissected frogs in high school... Like, you don't know what the hell's going on in there. <laughs> I I could swear that most soldiers know approximately where the heart is. Well, And that it's sure. hard to stab at, but that's the thing, that if you can hit it... If you hit the chest, generally, you're going to puncture it long or hit yeah, the heart. Yeah, or you're going to incapacitate enough, like, you, There's going to be enough bleeding, so, like, yeah, sure, okay. If you can get between the but, ribs, yeah. like, nobody was really... I mean, because of religious uh, concerns about the body... Right. There wasn't even really dissections. People who... Uh, dissected cadavers in order to try to learn more about them were doing so like at risk of being found out and jailed and probably like stoned to death as necromancers yeah or as necrona yeah you know (laughs) or necrophiliacs uh but like so there was just this whole idea that there was this disease that women got called hysteria that caused this random list of things and then people would actually perform this random list of things and i like i think there's something really interesting about the that was like the thing I wanted to hit out here, the mm-hmm. premise that if you define a thing and it becomes like really common knowledge in that culture, is that sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where maybe like everybody's sort of pointing at, for example, depression, but it like it can present in all these bizarre ways. Yeah. But if you say, OK, depression looks like anhedonia, like loss of interest in things that you used to like, uh, excessive sleeping, uh, low mood, et cetera, et cetera. People who have depression maybe just sort of latch onto that and start being like, oh, yeah, I have and start even performing those things because they sort of take on the identity as person with depression. I well, I mean, I agree, but I also don't think like it's an intentional performance. Like I think. No, I don't yeah, think that at all. I there's think mental strain and and stress and just like bad, bad psychological stuff going down. And you're told by society this is. This is how people react to that, and then that's what people do. Well, you're told specifically, also, if you want to be recognized as having this diagnosis and get help, you need to have 
you need to fit this criteria for the diagnosis, which... uh. Yeah, but I don't think people, like, think that way. No, They're I don't, just like, I don't think... oh my god, I can't see now. I'm trying to say I don't think very many people, or maybe any of them, are strategically going, I'm going to perform all of these things so I can get the good drugs. Like, hmm. But I think that there is sort of this cultural understanding of what it looks like to be a depressed person, and depressed people will reenact that. That's a really compelling point. Was that made in the post? Cause that... Yeah. Oh, well, I breezed over that. That's why somehow. I jumped ahead to the conclusion, because that was like... The thing that the author was trying to say was the interesting idea that maybe, like, the West is exporting its global expectations about what things look like. But Scott said, like, the more interesting thing here is, like, the way that you keep seeing that when there's a public awareness campaign, suddenly hundreds and hundreds of people are coming in saying, I have that thing, yes. Where before they didn't. Were they hiding it? Were they having different symptoms or expressions of it, or maybe they just didn't know how to express it, so they were just depressed, but pretending to be super happy because that was what it was acceptable in their culture. And Well, like, we've, at least most of us have talked to the people, most, I, the three of us in the room anyway, have talked to people who probably have something along the lines of ADD or ADHD. Mm-hmm. I definitely who, have it. Oh, I know, yeah. I mean, I have something enough like that where I've got, the prescribed drugs to fix it but i mean we've talked to people who have it and they're like having difficulties getting their doctors to prescribe them that stuff and it's like okay well they want you to exhibit these things if if they're dick doctors like my doctor was cool enough i told him i was like look i'm on wellbutrin apparently that works well with adderall and it would help me from the other side of the problem i'm having um and he's like yeah man that makes perfect sense in fact you're right that's what we these we tend to prescribe these in tandem anyway Hmm. so like i had a cool doctor i think some people have cool doctors but those who don't I've seen people get advice. It's like, okay, well, they want you to answer questions like this. So they want you to present well, they, they, in they the way. They give you a questionnaire that you have to be able to like say that I have nine out of 10 of these things. And exactly. then that's keeping you from the drugs that'll help you. Yeah. Like this speaks to me in particular because I like am self-diagnosing as autistic. Um, also ADD, I guess I never really got an official prescription for that, but like some prescription diagnosis, but like. I'd never presented typically for these things. I didn't have the hyperactivity thing. I was by, like, all, I don't know, um, the teachers that observed me uh, and parents and whatnot all thought, like, thought that I was a good kid who, like, was good at schoolwork, did homework, conscientious, kind, et cetera. But, like, this was a performance that I was, I felt like, you know, my whole culture and society was saying young ladies do and young ladies do not. And... I needed to perform this young ladiness Mm -hmm. (laughs) or I would be punished. And a lot of that involved not climbing trees. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it came out in other ways. Um, But like the same thing with autism where like female typical autism looks different from male typical autism. And there's still this huge problem with uh, actually ADD and autism are some of these, like I think worst uh, examples of, ways that there's a female typical and a male typical version the male typical version is considered the correct one uh yeah this is something that i'm glad that uh psychological medicine is growing past where kind of like i said i don't have an official diagnosis for either of these and i like got a full neuropsych evaluation and uh my doctor basically told me like no like you, you it's okay you don't have autism you're like you just have autism like traits that were caused by other things it seems like and i was just like but that's the same like autism is not a disease that you have or don't it's the collection of traits mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the first like and i think that like he was trying to reassure me by he was concerned like with you but, didn't catch the autism yeah well he, he 
he's um an older dude who actually was retired but he still does neuropsych evaluations because it's interesting to him i think the stuff he had to say was super valuable and interesting but he seemed very reluctant to want to give anybody in a diagnosis because it felt like to him like there's these misunderstood collections of traits that can be worked with in other ways and then like if you get sort of branded with this diagnosis it's going to be this impediment and people don't want they're not coming in here to try to get a you know confirmation they want to feel they want like the the you know confirmation that they're okay and i was sort of like no i kind of want the confirmation that like what i've felt my whole life <laughs> is correct it's interesting cuz he's kind of taking the approach that the post implicitly is advocating for right where it's like, no, don't go in there and just throw labels at people's regular stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, don't don't give them a, a thing to anchor on and insist that they have a problem because they fit these three things. You're, but this guy took the other end of that extreme. Yeah, well, just like, because you fit all these things doesn't mean you have this syndrome. Like, these could just be all because of other stuff. And I'm just like, from my perspective, I was like, it doesn't matter what caused it, where it's from, whatever. Like, I, I have these deficiencies. I have these patterns of behavior and things that I struggle with. And, like, I sort of wanted validation of that, but... Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I think he did it wrong. I just think it's interesting because it took the other side of what this post is doing, yeah. or to my, to, some, to my reading of it, or parts of it anyway. Like, when I was in college, I went to go see a therapist, and I filled out, like, the paperwork that's like, are you depressed, or, or, or do you have bipolar? And I recognized, it didn't say, like, at the top, do you have these? It's just I recognized what the tests were doing. And Yeah, they're not very subtle. No, but I asked, or I filled out the bipolar one, and I was like, this is going to tell you I have bipolar disease, but I don't. Because the <laughs> questions are like, do you have periods in your life where, like... Do you sometimes have one mood and then it changes to a different mood? <laughs> but, but or, or, like, you know, radical upswings in mood. Do you have periods where, like, you're having uh, way more sexual activity than other other periods and stuff? <laughs> and I'm like... Everyone? Well, Are you sometimes yeah, impulsive and sometimes really risk-averse? But uh, it was questions like that, but it was, it, it was more apropos to my situation because uh, my now wife was in New York getting her master's. And so it's like... <laughs> yes, I, I have. I have increased, and I, I explained that when I handed the the doctor the paperwork. I was like, "Yeah, I have increased periods of happiness and sexual activity when we're visiting, and uh, less when we're not." Hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's not like because I'm bipolar, it's because literally my wife is away for three months. Right. So, so that's the thing is like if if they had said like, "Oh, well, look, you fit this. You need to get on some some lithium fast and get you chilled out because you have bipolar disorder." It's like, "Well, no, I don't." So th there's there's definitely a line to, to, to walk there and your doctor took one bad extreme and my doctor was walking that line just fine because it's it's a rather thick line but yeah. um, I think his heart was in the right place too and primarily he said that he, he uh, evaluates children and I, so I understand like somebody not wanting to just slap this lifelong label of deficient on a child I do notice that we are back to talking about how western psychiatric um, norms. norms yeah define mental illnesses rather than whether this is like a a thing that can or should be done, I guess. Like uh, going back to the the whole nineteenth century hysteria thing, part part of the thing that he pointed out was that around the fifties, some of them started having something like anorexia, and so psychiatrists found that fascinating and wrote a bunch of papers, and then it became a common topic of discussion. And, and then suddenly then, everybody had it. Yes, and then uh, anorexia started spreading as from one of the rarest symptoms to one of the most common. And around 1900, it peaked, after which point uh, it stopped being interesting because it was so often. People didn't write about it as much or talk about it as much, and it trailed off. And then in the 1940, it was vanishingly rare again. Yeah, and... Uh, because what it was got the... boring. Let's see. I think this is... It was around here that... Oh, can I talk about... Sorry, uh, you finish your thought. Okay, sure. It was around here that he um, says the thing which I was bringing up earlier, but uh, I like his wording better. I bolded it when I pulled it out. 
Wado suggests there's probably some base level objectively real mental illness. If you have to think of it as something, you can think of it as a formless extreme stress looking for an outlet. Mm. But the particular way the stress finds an outlet is based on the patient's cultural preconceptions. If you believe that stressed people go blind, you'll go blind. If you believe that stressed people act possessed by demons, you'll act possessed by demons. And if you believe that stressed people become obsessed with being really thin and starve, them, starve themselves, you might become obsessed with being really thin, thin and starve yourself. Yeah, can I talk about Sing Lee? Yeah. So um, he, Scott, mentions this researcher, Sing Lee, who was the guy in uh, Hong Kong studying cases of anorexia. So uh, sort of the thing that you were just talking about, Ian Ash, about the formless stress trying to find an outlet, um, you're saying like, well, okay, so maybe some people have a certain predisposition where their body just gets stuck in extreme dieting mode and refuses to go back, in the example of anorexia. That would explain why medieval nuns who got into who got too into fasting got it. That was one of the examples that was a link that's fascinating. Um, it would explain why modern Westerners who get too into looking beautiful get it. It would explain why pre-1990 Hong Kongers who were really depressed and couldn't eat got it. It would even explain why Sing Lee got it. So Sing Lee, the psychiatrist whose work on Hong Kong anorexia frames the chapter, had a proper old-school experimental temperament. <laughs> I want to fist bump this guy, sort of. And decided he wouldn't be able to treat anorexics unless he really understood them. So he decided to starve himself, and for the first three months, it was just as unpleasant as you'd expect. After that, it started being really fun, and he felt great about it. And he had to call off the experiment because he didn't want to actually give himself anorexia. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to square this with culture-bound syndrome position. Maybe whether or not given an extreme diet becomes anorexia is culture-bound. Maybe learning about anorexia inspires a bunch of wanorexics who then start dieting. I don't know. It doesn't really fit. I do remember anorexia seeming somewhat like, I hate to use the term fashionable, but almost fashionable because it was like what the high status, really pretty people did. Well, that super gets into um, the next thing about depression in Japan, mm -hmm. where depression became really fashionable. Yeah. Until, like, the culture had to push back against it. This is the coolest thing. Yeah. like. The, well, I'm not sure coolest is a good term, it's but the, super it's funny. interesting. It's, I, yeah. I, I laughed when I read this, and, like, it's it's maybe some dark humor, but um, there was this trend in Japan, basically, where, okay, depression became recognized as a disease, but, like, the people writing about it managed to make it, like, sound very sympathetic to the point that people started interpreting it as, well, people who have depression are really just probably like cinnamon rolls who are too good for this world and they're can, can i read the line uh, yeah please do in fact it was really good so uh, the term used was neurasthenic yeah it said being neurasthenic became first a fashion then a class marker the idea was that neurasthenics were people who were too hot who were working too hard meaning they're good and admirable who were so smart and doing so much furious intellectual activity that it was straining their nerves which is impressive and also they were probably sensitive souls too pure for this world yo the most embarrassing stream happened in 1903 when some photogenic Japanese youth carved a poem in a tree, went to a beautiful waterfall, and leapt to his death. Everyone praised him for how sensitive and artistic and neurasthenic this was, and turned him into a posthumous, posthumous national hero. Meanwhile, in 1902, an article reported that fully one-third of patients visiting hospital for consultations were suffering from the new disease. Can I take the next part? Sure. Finally, everyone struck a compromise and agreed that to fix this and agreed that most of the lower-class patients weren't really neurasthenics, hardworking, intelligent, sensitive, admirable, but had a similar condition, imitating the symptoms of neurasthesia based on being too weak and pathetic to cope. This seemed to do the trick, and people stopped coming to the hospital with neurasthemia symptoms. 
Can I just read the quote, though? Yes. Because this was uh, from the 1906 Japanese Neurology Journal, where they were like, oh, shit, we've made depression look too, uh, like, palatable. We need to make it bad again. Yeah. So here's the quote. These days, young students talk about such stuff as the philosophy of life. They confront important and profound problems of life, are defeated, and develop neurasthenia. Those who jump off a waterfall or throw themselves in front of a train are weak-minded. They do not have a strong mental constitution and develop mental illness, dying in the end. How useless they are. Such weak-minded people would only cause harm even if they remained alive. <laughs> At which point, a bunch of people, like, almost nobody had this disorder anymore, magically. Which, like... Ethics there are super weird both ways, both praising and then sort of condemning people for having depression. Yeah. But but it, it, <laughs> there needed to be some kind of balance. He says, it seems as if acceptance of neurasthenia had been so successful that psychiatrists felt obliged to re-stigmatize this mental disorder in hopes of limiting its adoption. And it worked. I guess it worked. Yeah. But, like, the thing that I'm concerned about there, like, Japan does have incredibly high levels of depression and suicide. Mm-hmm. And, like... You don't want so, to dismiss it as just being trendy. Yeah. Um, it brings us back to the whole, like you said, does naming and pointing to a mental health problem make it worse? I don't know. I mean, that, that's an interesting question because, like, the data seems to suggest that yes, but then also Scott brings up a bunch of other, you know, like, for example, uh, he talks about Paxil uh, mm -hmm. beginning to, like, they, they, they needed to go market themselves in the Japanese market and... So they did a public awareness campaign about, like, depression sucks, Paxil can help, or whatever. <laughs> and people just flooded the clinics, being like, yes, I have that, please give me Paxil. And Scott said, maybe it was just that all these people were suffering, and were like, oh, there's a name for this thing I have, thank God, and there's a treatment. And, like, yeah. that seems relatable or um, it's, uh, reasonable. It's it, it, relatable, too, because, like... I also sort of grew up in a family that didn't believe in science-based medicine or mental health issues. Right. And so I also had that sort of, oh my God, there are like things like autism and ADD and OCD describe things that are like patterns that I've been struggling with my whole life. And there's mm -hmm. whole bodies of research dedicated to this and there's therapy and there's treatments. Oh my God. <laughs> it's really hard because like I've known people that definitely have distinct issues but won't get help like refuse to right and it's so frustrating yeah and with those people you want to like destigmatize this a little bit and be like you really you really should get some help pilots especially i've heard have a problem with this because if you have pilots like uh airplane pilots I'm yeah guessing. yeah if you have any sort of diagnosis for any sort of mm. uh, mental thing you lose your pilot's license so uh when i was and so instead they labor without getting treatment or medication yeah. and that makes things worse which you you don't want someone with untreated depression or anxiety or whatever flying your plane <laughs> because that just makes the risk of the, the everyone on the plane dying much worse yeah i don't know about pilots but um i mean i've heard that air traffic controller is the single most stressful position like job out there i could kind of believe it because it is this like you need to be able to multitask and do everything exactly right and keep all these like strings of data and like if you fuck up even a little bit like there are all these lives relying on you mm. but then there's also that you're at sort of a distance from it which I know fucks up a lot of people that, like, man drones, for example, in Afghanistan or whatever. Yeah. Where kind of, you drive into the office, you pilot a drone, maybe you blow up a school, like, maybe, I don't know, you see some terrible shit. And, like, you clock out at the end of the day, you drive home, you make dinner for your family, and you got to just sort of compartmentalize. And that seems not like a thing that humans are good at doing or that, like, a healthy situation for a human to be in. But it also, I don't know, maybe this is just me. I think I'm not alone in this, but, like, there's something really romantic about a whole lot of mental illnesses that just 
I find them like attractive and compelling. And I think that's not unusual. And, um, you know, then well, that's a problem because like Ophelia from Macbeth, right? Uh, was Ophelia in Macbeth? Now I'm trying to remember Shakespeare. God damn it. I don't know much about Shakespeare. I don't either, but I'm thinking like, you know, like Picasso or every romantic yeah. painter and artist or Van Gogh. Yeah. Cutting off his ear. He every, was such a tortured soul. Every beat poet had all those, oh. you know, so it's like they, they're, I, I don't know if I share the, uh, the attracted attraction that you described, but I think I can articulate it or at least understand it. Cause people seem to like these suffering artists yeah. and that's like, that's this, this, uh, romanticized trope. Ophelia's from Hamlet. Uh, I just mentioned this because this is a character who, um, I don't know, Hamlet's doing his dumb shit because he thinks, like, the ghost of his father's come back and he's just running around doing dumb shit. And then, like, his wife or fiance, Ophelia, sort of bears the brunt of this, goes mad, and then drowns herself. And she drowns herself specifically after uh, Hamlet, like, goes off on her. Um, But, like, there's all, like, I'm looking at, um, there's a painting by Sir John Everett Millet. I don't know how to pronounce, like, I guess that's a French thing, even though he's British. But, um, so I'll show you guys this painting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of artwork and, like, depictions of this character, Ophelia, that romanticize her. And specifically, the painting I'm showing them, I'll, I'll link it to, is this really beautiful painting where she's drowned, but she's laying there looking very beautiful, holding a string of flowers in this picturesque nature, like... And, yeah, we get that kind of thing where it's just like, oh, this is so romantic. Oh, this is so tragic. And well, here's... I think that really appeals to people, though, that, like, do feel oppressed or, you know, like, people with suicidal ideation often sort of have this idea that life is so hard, it would be so easy to just give up. And then, like, also, I could really show those people who didn't believe me or who treated me badly. And I know this is going to date me a bit, but I feel... I. <laughs> I feel guilty about this, but I can't help feeling the same way about, like, Kurt Cobain and Axl Rose. Because they were both insanely talented musicians. Just absolutely phenomenal. And they were both fucking gorgeous. And Axl Rose nowadays has uh, grown old and not attractive anymore. He doesn't put out good music anymore. It's like he's going back and playing his old hits to people who are old fans. And he's a multimillionaire and that's great and everything. But, like, you know, it's like, I still listen to the old Guns N' Roses stuff, and I feel emotions. But, like, when I listen to old Nirvana stuff, and I just think, Jesus Christ, he killed himself at 27. And how much more could he have done? And, oh my god, he was pretty. And, like, it just feels so fucking tragic that, like, yeah. that that legacy is far more cemented in my mind and my emotions That's than really Axl Rose's. a thing that a lot of artists struggle with, too. Like, and it's really fucked up. Like, you shouldn't have to murder yourself. Culture. Yeah, like, that, that whole idea of, like, I don't want to live to be old and unattractive and uh, not relevant. Yeah. Was that, like, Kurt Cobain's and Amy Winehouse's motivation that they didn't want to be old and like be old and unattractive. No, I think they no, probably Kurt were struggling Cobain, with lots of yeah, they had, they had other stuff going on, yeah. He had a ton of depression <laughs> and he also had extreme pain from back issues. So, you know, a combination of problems. A lot of people who are incredibly prolific and artistic do struggle primarily actually with a uh, bipolar, but a bunch of other things too, schizophrenia, etc. It these um mental disorders can be really motivating and yeah. Like, but there's this whole issue of do we glorify them? You know, do we, what did they call it in the article? Uh, well, it's hard not to glorify it a little bit, you know? I think 
And then it's also really hard to talk bad bad about the dead once they've killed themselves. Like, Re- are you going to shit on him for yeah. being weak and killing himself? Right. But if you don't, I don't know. It seems like you're you don't could wanna, make the problem worse. You don't want to make that a role model. All right. Like, Virgin Suicides, I haven't actually seen it, but I hear it's really good. But then it also, there was a wave of teenage girl suicides not long after. Yeah, and then that's the thing that I keep coming back to where it comes to wanorexics. But um, you do see copycat murders. You see copycat suicides like... Uh, Humans are really all about looking at the people around them and trying to determine, you know, what behaviors are acceptable and correct for them to do. And so, like, re-stigmatizing depression in Japan, was that the wrong thing to do? I don't know. Like, there's a really interesting question there that is, like, also the main thing that I thought was interesting about this article. We can go more into the, like, different examples that we haven't touched on, too, because those are interesting. But just the, the whole... Like, what do you do if you're trying, if, if if your goal is to try to help people who have these mental disorders, it, like, is it more ethical to do a public awareness campaign where a bunch of people, maybe who've just been suffering in silence, might come out and be like, oh, thank God, there's a name for this thing, there's a treatment for it, like, please recognize me. So, but, like, with the possibility that people are going to just sort of, I don't know, um, honestly, glorify it and... I think we've gone a little bit too far in the extreme of making everything super public aware and telling everyone you probably have this thing like i I think there's at this point a lot of good that could be done from pulling back and telling people hey you know what mental illness isn't that debilitating of a thing you can deal with it stop you know toughen up a little bit the world isn't supposed to Mm, pander to your every need i struggle with that because that's sort of what i was told my whole life and i just like look back and think about how much better my life would have been if anybody had been able to diagnose me as autistic and yeah. like try to do interventions. I like sort of the thing that Charlie said before when we were talking about their childhood and it was just like that really stuck with me because mm-hmm. this is just, yeah, like it's tempting to be like, Oh, um, your struggles have sort of made you who you are. And, or like, you know, and Charlie said like, no, I, I didn't succeed because of my struggles and they made me a, like a stronger, better person. I succeeded in spite of them. Mm-hmm. I'm still a much worse off person than I would have been if I hadn't had those struggles because they did in fact hurt me and hold me back a lot. Yeah. And like, well, I got, I mean, I'm glad I got diagnosed as depressive. It helped a lot. Um, once I had that diagnosis, I got some medication, I got some treatment. It, it made things less bad, still not good, but I mean, the thing that actually made it good was removing me from the circumstances that made life terrible. And I don't know, I would have rather, if it would have been possible, to treat the root cause rather than addressing some of the symptoms. Yeah, I do feel that too. Where, uh, But addressing symptoms is a lot easier. A thing that I did get a diagnosis for was major depressive disorder. And I got that diagnosis and just felt like, I don't identify with this. I never, like, my, my primary struggle to me never felt like depression. Uh, I struggled with social anxiety, social awkwardness, panic attacks, uh, OCD. I had trichotillomania. Um, it's like in remission now since I got on Adderall. So like knock wood or whatever. But I've had that since I was 12 or 13 where you just pull your hair out compulsively mm. and it's nightmarish. Um, and then just also the stigma when like you're uh, the whole thing about re-stigmatizing or like deliberately stigmatizing mental disorders feels really gross to me because I spent my whole life with like my parents would find pictures of me as a little girl with long hair down to my butt and be like, look, you used to have such beautiful hair. Why are you doing this? Why are you ruining your hair? Like, is it because we're bad parents? Is it our fault? Like, 
and then you know just like yelling at me to stop Mm -hmm. (laughs) when they saw me doing it Mm -hmm. expressing disapproval when they saw me either without or with hair extensions or wigs like is that your real hair like uh, i think that that just exacerbates stuff where it was like i felt just tons of guilt and shame for having a mental disorder and i think that's fucked up i don't think anybody should have to deal with having a mental disorder and then also being told that they're a bad person like this whole like i was laughing at it because like just because of the ridiculousness of the fact that this is somebody that like actually wrote this and that people read it but yeah like people who have depression are just really weak-willed and can't deal with life i know i mean that's fucked up (sighs) and i mean that's the opposite message you want to send but if you're trying to do it to curb an epidemic of people who got the wrong idea about it which is worse though if people like commit suicide or just struggle in silence with depression or if people who maybe don't have depression like go take ssris and post on their blog about how very very depressed they are like can i so i think that that that's that's sort of the the question right like with the the anorexia thing in china for example like was it actually a problem oh sorry hong kong which i guess is now china but it wasn't then okay uh you know was it a problem in 1990 it's it seems unclear but it's as as scott points out it's one of those diseases that's kind of hard to like hide and so you would think that there would have been cases that were findable in 1990 and that it wouldn't have taken until 1995 when it got popular. Um, I think people can be very oblivious, though. Like when like there was the case that sparked the national controversy of a woman just dropping dead in the street. Somebody should have noticed that she was struggling, right? And if she if she'd been aware that, uh, hey, my behavior is um, and my, my, my desires like and my this. compulsions... Yeah, there, there's the, there's a thing for this. I can I can go to a doctor and ask, hey, I think I've got this thing. And then yeah, so there there's uh, enormous benefit in having like a label that you can pursue a solution to, right? Rather than just thinking, huh, I've got this thing, and I it's, I've it's got this defined. very like you know shameworthy thing that I must hide from society at all costs. So I've got two personal things about that one which is super lame but i'm going to touch on it anyway but it's not yeah and the other one which i think is actually kind of a big deal um the super lame one is i recently ran across the term freosexual or freysexual or something Frey? i haven't even looked into Spelled it like i don't know i haven't looked into it i just heard about it on a podcast a few days ago huh. and i when i first heard it i was like oh my god that's me that's so nice to have a term for that and then immediately afterwards i was like this sounds kind of like bullshit. Wait, what is the definition of this? Someone who loses interest in um, people over a period of year or two or some time. Yeah, like the thing yeah. I worry about there is that it's the same thing with like demisexual where the joke about that was what you mean the way that everybody experiences sexuality. Yeah, but yeah. like, I think that it's important to have words for things sometimes. I guess. But then I was like, this sounds this sounds kind of like bullshit, actually. I think I was just, you know having some kind of insecurities about something and then this word came up and I was like, oh cool, a thing I can latch on to that, you know, explains my experience and says, no, it's a total natural way of being. You're just like everyone else that has their own sexuality and so that's why I didn't bother looking into it more after that because I was like, hmm, I think I'm just fooling myself and this is bullshit. There's a related thing that I... I'll probably find opportunity to circle back to, but what was your second example? Um, Or I can do my thing real quick. Go ahead and do your thing real quick. Yeah, so there's... um, with the idea of uh, um, like the, the relationship between grief and depression, you know, so are you textbook depressed if you just lost your job and... Do you mean like situational versus clinical? Yeah, but apparently there's, at least in the last few years, an emergence, and this might be in the new DSM, of uh, what's called complicated grief. If you're sad mm. for too long, that's a problem. 
but like it it's not clear to me what and you know i'm not a psychologist maybe it's clearer to them but you know if if you're going through a a traumatic grief spell where something terrible happened and well it's been uh six weeks and one day you're now you're now diagnosed with clinical or with a complicated grief like that seems weird you know maybe it takes more than six weeks to completely get over the death of your you know your companion or something right yeah. so like that that's I've, I've always had mixed feelings about things like that because my two what, best what, friends died in 2011 and i'm not over it and yeah. i think that and i don't think i'm ever going to be yeah. i think that i talked to my dad when he was in his like 40s or 50s about grief at one point one of the like rare empathetic conversations we had and he told me like yeah death fucks you up yeah. i lost friends when i was your age like i continue to lose friends who are just old or having heart attacks or whatever and just like it hurts every time and you never really get over it and that's just sort of the way of it and that kind of like it stops being as raw but it never maybe goes like away. the problem is if you just become non-functional because of it and it's all you can think of right i, some... I could see that being an actual disordered state and i mean that would be a disordered state four days in if you're you know laying in bed shitting yourself and not eating like it's so it, it to me it was like the specific time constraint on this but yeah i mean i and grief is one of those things where like when are you better it's like you don't it, it never goes away you just you you learn to carry it better and it mm-hmm. just becomes a thing that happened right mm-hmm. and you know it, it never goes away because how could it um so and I, maybe I'm not defining complicated grief well, but I just remember this because this was one of my wife's teachers at Columbia actually, uh, I don't know, coined the phrase is right, but I think was a big popularizer of it. Hmm. And it, I guess what I'm getting at is that like there's a range of human experiences, not all of them great, that are perfectly normal. And I don't know if the line between, or I suspect that the line between normal and expected and unhealthy and you need special intervention is a, I, I think that's a not, uh, hard line, right? Yeah. And so you, In... I, I guess, so like Jace had like the worst examples of like bad doctors and bad environment of people ignoring your problems. Then you're like, can I get help? And they're like, fuck you, you don't have a problem or just suck it up, which is like the worst thing that can happen. But you also don't want somebody, you know, who goes in at 10 years old and they talk too much in school. It's like, oh, they've got ADD. They need to be on some, some chillax pills or focus pills or whatever. Like, or, you know, somebody takes the death of a parent hard and they're also a kid. Oh, they need SSRIs. They, they need, you know, they need a, a, a yeah. you know, chemical intervention drugs during the formative puberty brain years um, during an experience that maybe they'd have gotten over and, you know, or handled better in a couple of weeks. So the I think article, there's, over, um, there's a problem between overzealous and underzealousness. That yeah. was my really long way of making that point. Sorry. Yeah. I, so, I mean, piggybacking off of that, because it's basically the same thing, uh, there was a... Uh, a post slightly after that Scott Alexander posted that pulled out like highlights from the comments on that uh on that review. I don't know. I've heard similar stuff. I also feel kind of hesitant to read this, but I'm going to go ahead. Uh, I know a woman who was sexually interfered with as a child. It didn't affect her when it happened. She was old enough to remember it, but the memories weren't painful. It was just a weird person doing stuff. She certainly didn't feel like she'd been victimized. Mm. Only later, when surrounded by friends who talked about how awful CSA is, I'm assuming that's child sexual assault, and how it ruins your life forever, etc., etc., did did trauma from the event hit her. This might not be a common experience, but it was unsettling to hear her describe that. She felt a degree of bitterness towards her friends, almost as if they'd caused her to become a victim, not her attacker. No, I relate to that a lot. That's what Charlie and I were talking about. Yeah. Um, With, like, if you... That's, again, like, it falls into this really complicated moral quandary zone where if... 
I feel like I'm jumping all over the place because there's like, so much you to talk about here. You want to help the people here, who like, are traumatized and hurt by stuff as a child, but you also don't want to don't like, wanna, like re... victimize them. Or... Yeah, you don't want to victimize people or traumatize people who weren't traumatized victimize by is it. The wrong word, but you know, like, yeah. put them in the victim role. Right. Yeah. Uh, like going sort of, I don't know. A thing that I've noticed is, uh, I think almost every like cis guy that I've dated has at one point casually mentioned a time where they were raped by a cis woman. Hmm. And they wouldn't use those words. Like, they always, yeah, this one time I had a really bad fever. And then, like, this chick who was in my, like, dorm area came in and, like, sort of had sex with me. And I wasn't really that into it. And I was like, oh, man, that's a bummer. And that was that was kind of weird. Like, just, like, when we're talking about past sexual experiences. And I'm just like, that sounds like rape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think by definition you were raped. And they're like, what? No. Men don't get raped by women. Like, nah. Well, I mean, that's... It seems like, actually, they do a lot. It's just that there's this cultural norm of you know men are supposed to always be down for sex right. and want it and hey you got laid what are you complaining about exactly but like i was straight up told by a uh, a college professor that men can't get raped uh, <laughs> under the influence of alcohol hmm. and because you can't get it up right and if you don't have a hard dick that means sex didn't happen well that that was what it was and i i was at a stage i think where i'd been drunk once for science like when i was like 17 at that point because <laughs> I, I wasn't a very interesting per, uh, child but i remember it even thinking and i didn't have the the cojones at the time to, to push back and be like oh this from your experience of growing up having a penis like <laughs> and having now been drunk enough so drunk to where i couldn't safely take a shower and still able to maintain an erection <laughs> like i i think that also I whether mean, or not you have an erection doesn't mean you can't be raped that's true right. but, like, but like sex can't happen yeah but like you know, I, lots of times sex happened when the penis is or rape does happen when the penis is erect yeah. also mad flex well no i mean it, <laughs> i i i like definitely drunk enough to where it's like I would never drive like this. Where yeah. like you know if if, if or like if you know my, my I, I don't making, feel like I can make yeah like yeah. correct decisions in this state. My decision making is gone and yeah. So I mean like that. So anyway, just having I, I was uh, femsplained that no, actually that can't happen. Your your lived experience is wrong. But that's that's me just uh, stoking the candles or the, the fires of culture war. But I didn't <laughs> I didn't mean to distract from that. But other than to to reinforce that yes, there's this norm that like. Uh, like well, that's another m- like men can't of, get ripped by women. Yeah, example of how cultural scripts affect the way you experience something, mm-hmm. or even you know, like this woman who experienced some like childhood sexual abuse didn't really feel like it was a big deal because it didn't. She she didn't know what the hell was going on at the time. It didn't really like physically harm her. I guess like, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm just saying this like you know out of empathy for like I sort of had the same thing going on. I just like there was some shit that happened to me as a kid that was kind of fucked up. And I was just like, yeah, that was weird. Like, I feel like this is about sex stuff, but I don't really understand that enough. And like, that was something somebody did to me and I'm not really going to like be fucked up about it. Cause I wasn't hurt. It didn't end badly. Like whatever. And man, yeah. <laughs> but like, there's a part of me that wonders like, am I not worried about this enough? Should I be more angry about it? Right. I would be super angry, you know? Like I said, I had these partners that told me about like casually times that they were raped where they weren't even able to use that word or think about it in those terms. And I was like, no, you super got taken advantage of there and that's not okay. You shouldn't be cool about that. But also I don't want you to like collapse in self-pity or eh. Right. It, it seems to be working okay for you right now. Yeah. I, I, if you're saying like, I wonder if I should be more more upset or more more taken taken into this, my my intuition is like, no, if you're doing okay, you know, leave, leave that box where it is in your brain. Right. But I'm not, 
I'm not an expert. Maybe you should dig into it. I, my my intuition suggests no, and it's a strong intuition. But um, the primary reason to want to them to get like more angry is because maybe then the perpetrator would be caught before they start doing worse things to more people. Yeah, I still have like the college professor that said like when you're talking about getting drunk. Uh, the first time I ever got drunk was this guy giving me absinthe. Uh, I think I talked about that already, but like. I drove up to like hang out at his mom's place, lol, in the mountains of Pennsylvania where I was just trapped. And then he was just like, oh, we'll do a tasting of different absinths. And I'd never been drunk before. So I was like, cool, we can do an experiment where I can see what it's like in a safe environment to be drunk. And then I got, I, <laughs> I drank five absinths, which is an insane amount of alcohol mm. for somebody who was completely naive to alcohol. But like at that point I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm starting to feel like I need to go lay down and like eat some salt and stuff and then he just like came onto me and i was just like well i'm trapped in the mountains here i said no a few times and he wasn't listening so i was just like i guess yeah. this may as well just happen and i've heard a number of people <sighs> having similar experiences and i like this guy might still be teaching yeah. <laughs> he might be listening to this podcast he's probably not listening to this podcast I'm if he is fuck you you know i or, like make better decisions <laughs> that, that that's where i am i find there's a a song and i don't know if it's her newest album or second most newest kesha I think the album is called Rainbow. She's so good. She's so good. The song is called Praying, and the whole album seems to be about her overcoming all the insane bullshit she went through. Bullshit's putting it too lightly. Um, the abuse and uh, manipulations and stuff. And the the point of the Praying song is, uh, like, I hope you've... Not that, like, you've found peace, you know, with all the terrible shit you've done. That, too, but I hope you're better. Like, th- And that that's always what I want. You know, if... So if this guy's out there, like, you know... And he may, you know what I mean he's probably still alive or whatever but it's like I don't I don't want him dead or harmed I want him better yeah. like I wanted to be like oh my god I, I can't believe I did that and I'm I, I look I you know I'm I'm a better person now for having recognized that that was the wrong place to be but I wanted to mention before I forget there's two podcast episodes we're going to put in the notes here for other shows um, one is uh, 180 of Sam Harris's podcast called sex and power and it talks about just what you guys were talking about with uh, that that comment of like this this woman went to like a I forget what it was like a a group a, a collection an after just her friends huh the commenter who said that like all these things happen to me but I don't feel fucked up about it I think it was just her like her friends right her friend group yeah yeah uh but the, the, anyway that's what uh, Megan Dom or Dome I don't know how you say her last name uh the interviewer and the, or the guest on this episode she attended some event like this in on a college campus where everyone was like sharing their experiences and there was like this pressure to like submit your own experience and like Mm. you kind of get this like, Oh, you, you suffered with us too kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And you know, like if I powerful, that's compelling. Well, and it, it, it's, it sucks. Cause like, like you put it just eloquently yourself from your own lived experience. It's like, should I have more of a problem with this or is it fine? Like, you know, if you squint through a 2020 definition of, of rape, I've been, uh, like that, I, I've been in that situation where I've had sex I didn't want to have, right? Yeah, that's but, right. Well, I mean, <laughs> definitionally. Well, so, and as as the victim in this case, I'm prepared to just say like I have sex. I've had sex I regretted that I didn't want to have at the time, but I wouldn't want to put that on even the same yeah. level of somebody who was attacked. Yeah. And so, and I get like their 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 related experiences, but like it was not traumatizing. It was like learning about it in the historical context or in the in the new context of how the word is used i'm like oh that happened to me but i don't care Um, i still characterize all of my times that shit happened as gray area because it was gray area like me and the other person were drunk uh i don't know 
know. Like, even the college professor who I think was a total dick and being manipulative, but, like, I don't think that he was, like, you know, nobody thinks they're the villain of their own story. Yeah. If if I have to, like, psychoanalyze what was going on with him, it was that he thought that we were in love. Hmm. And that, like, no means yes. And you probably, you probably <laughs> and, thought that he was giving you a really good time or something, that this was something that you guys well, would ex- enjoy yeah, together. He was really into the whole age difference dynamic, too, where, like, the, like, daddy, dom, little girl, DDLG, is that it? I've never enjoyed no, that No, that's, that's super gross thing. to me, probably, because I've been abused by situations like that. But, like... In his perspective, I don't know, that was, like, I don't think he thought that he was raping me or taking advantage of me in his heart of hearts. He thought that, like, it's, like, porn where they're, like, oh, no, daddy, don't do it like that, where I was literally, like, no, this is very uncomfortable, please. You gotta, (laughs) you gotta, like, either establish that with someone beforehand. You basically always have to establish that with someone beforehand. You gotta, like... No, this was just completely, like, done badly, but, like, I don't think... I think there's a difference between, like, literally, I'm gonna get this, you know... Like, spike this chick's drink and then, like, bang her without her consent and, like, post it on Twitter versus, like, somebody who's just grossly misinformed and has also probably been raised with really toxic education about. Christ. And yeah, the... I, I'm realizing that, like, we're kind of getting... No, no, no but it's, it's important. Yeah. And if, 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 you know, if people listening are as uncomfortable as I am, like, that's, I think, valuable. Um, it's, this is, you know, horrendous, you know, it... We, we we try to learn not to flinch away from from scary dark thoughts, right? So, but if we're get l- looking bu- into the darkness here, this is uncomfortable, and it's supposed to be get buy-in and consent with your partner beforehand, enthusiastically, and not when they're fucked up on something. Yeah, consent is sexy. <laughs> you heard it from us. I mean, well, and then too, I mean, I I'm I'm fairly vanilla, but like if if you want to set up this dynamic beforehand, you know, I, um, non-consensual sex fantasies are not uncommon. For people, I'm given to understand. Consensual non-consent. Exactly. Yeah. But so then, if if you know that your partner's into that and they've expressed it to you, then you can just do like full reenact, you know, full uh, thematic enactment to fulfill the fantasies of whatever in a way that would be monstrous if you just guessed, right? Yeah. There's a there's a great Louis C.K. bit like that, but um, it's uh, yeah, consent sexy. Once 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 you've had the conversation and everything's on the table, then. Hey, now we can do all these things that we wanted to do together, and now we don't have to feel awkward about it, or or wonder if it's okay or whatever, right? I want to bring up an elephant in the room, but not until you have done your thing that you wanted to talk about. Uh, I had a well. This is just related, and I, we won't get, I think, much of a chance to get into it too much. So I'll just point at it that episode one ninety eight of Very Bad Wizards talked about Thomas Saz's book, The Myth of Mental Illness. It was nineteen sixty one. And I also it is don't know how to pronounce that last name, but I know what book you're talking about. S Z A S Z F or S S Z A S Z. A lot of Z's in there. Yeah. Thomas So, um, anyway, it's he's basically taking the extreme view, uh, like the opposite of like we're talking, like I, I keep talking about, like are people too over enthusiastically just prescribe or uh, diagnosing things or under enthusiastically? He's like, it's all over enthusiastic. Basically, mental illness is not a thing, and. Um, the, the the very bad wizards do a good job talking about that. So that's episode one ninety eight. We'll so link I don't to have it. To. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was it was fun listening to them talk about it anyway. And they they really steel man the guy's case. I think he makes a good steel man himself. But also, I got it. I got the version of his argument from them. So yeah, um, I wanted to go back to actually Stephen something you were talking about a bit ago with um the idea that there's complex grief or unresolved grief syndrome disorder whatever. Um, and I want to also pimp a thing. Uh, there's a book I love. It's actually a compilation of, um, articles from the Dear Sugar Advice column. 
and it's just a book called Dear Sugar. In particular, though, there was, um, it was, uh, the advice column number 44, How to Get Unstuck, but I think in the book it was called Your My Baby Died. Oh. And someone wrote in, like, I, I just want to read this whole thing because it's so fucking good, but, like, I can, we can just link to it. Um, <laughs> but somebody wrote in saying, my baby died. It's been... It was this unplanned pregnancy, but it was this very loved and wanted child and it didn't work out. The kid died. The woman who had the baby couldn't move on. I think her like partner left her and her friends are all just like, oh, it's been too long. You're too sad about this. You need to move on. And Sugar's response, I think, is just perfect where it sort of gets to the whole, like Stephen being concerned about somebody pathologizing someone being sad for too long, where it's like, who's to say when it's too long or when you're too sad? Uh... I'll, I'll link the exact, like, article here so people can read it, so I don't, like, feel compelled to just read the entire thing word for word, but I think what we really need here is this, like, acknowledgement of, because they talk about, like, pathologizing things or normalizing things or even, you know, going as far as to unstigmatize or re-stigmatize things. Like, I think there should be this awareness of this is human, this is normal, and also you still need help. Yeah. That like, doesn't have your to be baby either died. Or. And that's basically what Sugar says is, fuck your baby died like fuck that like fuck anybody who thinks that like you're taking too long to get over it they don't understand because their baby didn't die like go seek help but like don't you know beat yourself up about being too sad for too long or this holding you back like that that's kind of or that's exactly (laughs) anti-helpful what you need to hear is like fuck your baby died like that's terrible (laughs) like here's things you can do to help um but like having to it feels like there's just this false dichotomy or not even a dichotomy like quadcotomy of saying that like either you know yes you are this diagnosis and you get to play the victim card forever and everyone needs to you know excuse all of your behaviors and be very very sad about the things that have happened to you versus eh, a thing happened to you you're you're too sensitive just get over it like these aren't our choices like or they they don't have to be our choices we can be like there are these like incredibly common things that happen whether it's mental illness whether it's situational depression grief uh mania whatever that humans have terrible things happen to them and that causes them to have behavioral issues and we need to be able to i think be like that's a super normal human way to have responded in fact like you can see the ways that in fact this was adaptive um, I really like the answer that like the initial answer of like, fuck, that's terrible. Yeah. And, like, I, I, and I'm told and I've, I've heard this a, a few times that one of the like most valuable things you can hear in a therapy setting is just like, fuck, that sucks. Yeah. And like, oh, my God. Yeah. Because it's like, <laughs> oh, good. You know, I thought I thought it was bad myself. I'm glad to hear that you agree. And, you know, I it just, you know, and then you don't leave it at that if you're trying to help a person. But just like to acknowledge like Jesus. You know, like, yeah, right. You know, like I. I that's that's vindicating from the from the person who who experienced something bad right um to have have when you, when you go to talk about it just have have the person you're ta- talking with validate your own feeling about it of like didn't this suck and like fuck yeah that yeah, sounds like it, it sucks. makes perfect sense for you to be fucked up about this i would be fucked up about this if i were you like there's nothing pathological about the way that you're reacting to this like there are ways that we can do therapy there are medications you can take there's you know, like, that, that's the thing, like, here are the resources to help you move through this thing that's perfect, perfectly human and natural mm-hmm. for you to be doing or feeling right now because of what happened. And, 
yeah, I feel like we're missing a lot of that culturally where there still seems to be this like really strong dichotomy of either the poor wooby needs to be given a blanket and all the medications and nobody can criticize them ever for the rest of their life. And yeah, fuck that person. They're just being, you know, self-pitying and trying to like mooch off of a system where there's people with real mental disorders that eh, hmm. those don't have to be our two choice. <laughs> Should I mention the thing? I mean, which thing? So there was a thing I was thinking of the whole time when I read this uh, post initially that was never brought up that I was surprised about. And it was brought up in the comments. But like the examples he gave were uh, anorexia in Hong Kong or the examples from the book were anorexia in Hong Kong, depression in Japan, PTSD in Sri Lanka and schizophrenia in Zimbabwe, I think it was. And then he went to the conclusion and I had been expecting the whole time for there to be some sort of section about... um, uh, what do they call it? Rapid onset gender dysphoria in the U.S. and it was never brought up. And then it—you mean transgenders, Ineash? Tra- yeah, right, transgenders. And then it was brought up basically in a comment later on. But the of course it was. Yeah, where it sucks going through puberty and it's awkward and you don't like the changes that are happening. And from what it sounds like, a lot of I don't know, a lot of people are being quickly diagnosed as trans when. That's not necessarily the case, but I don't really know very much about it. But like, it seems like a a current day topic where that could be the case with modern teenage girls. I don't know. Specifically girls for some reason, which I find weird. I don't know why guys wouldn't also get that. So it's bad to be a girl and it's good to be a guy. So if a girl wants to be a guy, that's natural because obviously you'd want to be a guy. But if a guy wants to be a girl, that means that like they have psychological issues. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) I'm being somewhat sarcastic and flippant here, but actually, like, you know, going back to the whole JK Rowling hating, like, gender-inclusive bathrooms and transphobia bullshit. Not even, like, the gender-inclusive bathrooms, just, like, in general. Well, it's a common track in transphobia where um, transphobes think that trans women are really just men dressing as women in order to try to invade women's spaces so they can peep on the hot bathroom shit. And trans guys are just deluded, poor, sad girls that don't like that, that were lied to and have no agency of their own. And they're being told by the culture, the media that like, because they don't feel like being a girl that like, uh, it's very infantilizing and I get irritated about it. It I I endorse your irritation. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And that would be fucking annoying. I just, is there no similar the trends seem similar where suddenly something becomes very popular and reported on and then there is a huge explosion in the number of people who have this affliction. I remember like having an argument with my grandmother before I even identified as autistic about the autism epidemic mm-hmm. where from my perspective and what I said like when I was just getting used to ever challenging my grandmother uh, story for another time but uh, well I don't know like there's all these people that are saying their kid has autism now because it's popular and everybody's like, and I was just like, okay, or maybe just like people know that there's a word for this thing now. Right. And everybody is coming forth being like, oh, thank God, somebody has identified what this thing is and maybe my kid has it. You should look at this. And I sort of fail to see how it's worse if people are overdiagnosing than underdiagnosing. I'm not sure, but in the case of autism, I think, I mean, I well, think I mean, it's like, it's true that a lot of people would have simply been called, you know, nerdy or geeky or something and gone into an engineering career and they would have been autistic their whole life without really getting a diagnosis. But that could be like a whole other topic. I think what you're getting at is that if there was a surgery to correct autism right. and there was then suddenly a booming 
uh, number of diagnoses, um, there might be a concern that some people who who didn't need surgery got surgery. Right. And like I I don't have strong thoughts on like if the the current uh, like upward trend in numbers of diagnoses of gender dysphoria um, is uh, analogous to what was the um, one alexic or instead of or anorexic instead of anorexic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know if it's analogous to that or if it's um, like like Jay said with with autism like it's like oh there's a label for this thing that I've been feeling forever. I came out and as so- trans at like 32 or 33 because like it took that long for me to be able to admit that something's been wrong my whole life and that like I don't just need to tough it out or just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that. Um, but that's my anecdote, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that it's, uh, whatever way it is, if it's, if it's, again, I don't, wanorexia is so dismissive, but it, 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 <laughs> it was in the article and it, and it works to, to make the point. If it's, if it's like that, or if it's, um, hey, look, I finally got a, a, a societally acceptable label to identify what's been on my mind for the last while. Either way, the trend is, is like the, the graph would look the same. So that, that point is taken. I don't know. I don't know which explanation, or maybe it's some combination of both, would explain it. Most though. things are usually both. Yeah. Mo- if, most... if being both is an option, it's probably both. Most things aren't one thing. Yeah. <laughs> Can I, uh, in the interest of our last episode, the do this directives? Um, I want to just put forth a strong opinion about this that maybe I don't even necessarily endorse, but it'll sure. be a good talking point. So, um, I think that the harm that is done by denying treatment and pathologizing or stigmatizing mental illness is far worse than if you just give everybody the treatment and the allow them to have the diagnosis like what harm is done so say uh autism the the main you know interventions there are different kinds of therapy um maybe like special schools uh well so, so like you know you think your kid might have autism you take them to a behaviorist who says they sure do seem to have a bunch of autistic traits. You put them in some kind of therapy. And then, like, three years later, it's like, no, it seems like actually they have more problem with ADD. So you pull them out of that and you put them in the ADD track. Or, like, actually, no, it seems like they were, de- like, just going through a different development period than other kids. And they're fine. So they can leave the autism program. What harm was done? I don't think there's any harm in those cases. But in the if a thousands of people develop anorexia, that is harmful to your body. Um, the PTSD example pulled out. If they develop is, it, but like if yeah. they're also well, seeking I mean, the, treatment. The the the, the specific um, thing that is brought up in the book is that this causes people to develop anorexia by making it you know glamorous and widely known. And the PTSD thing is similar. Like, do you think PTSD they, that, that kind of person are, wouldn't have developed something else though? That there wasn't that like underlying stress there that needed to come out in some form i do think that actually like the ptsd thing specifically healthy happy person would like oh for social status reasons i'm going to identify as transgender and deal with all of the social stigma being like rejected by my family and friends having to do a second puberty go through hormones do surgeries etc etc and like i absolutely do not think that in the same way that i don't think that anyone goes blind just because they're like oh i'm depressed i'm i'm hysterical i'm blind now oh oh i can't see things like my uterus is moving through my body rapidly right i think they my eyes i can't see i think they actually do go blind and i think that people who come back from iraq actually do develop ptsd and it's bad um but I think if it was um, possibly referred to in different ways, then this wouldn't happen as much. Like, that's literally the question, is making these things more 
popular and widely known actually causing people to get them at a higher rate and thus is a bad thing. I don't think anybody think would want to do, you know, questions. like you were saying about the trans stuff. Where I wonder, like, sort of where I'm leaning, and again, this is just me doing the do this directives and having an opinion, mm -hmm. <laughs> like where maybe I shouldn't, but like, at least it gives us something interesting to talk about. Um, I think that, yes, higher awareness of these things probably does cause more people to be like, oh shit, maybe that's the thing I have. Or even, you know, worst case scenario, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I went on my Instagram and said that I had this thing and then I got all kinds of attention? I but think that's like, very is it rare. Bad? Well, I mean, it, it depends, too, again, if you... Like, if uh, you Is this taking resources away from people who really need it? Like, I think largely no. It might, probably unlikely. I mean, the greater damage is to yourself, but, you know, again, it's your right. body. You can <laughs> damage it all you want if, if you want to. And if you regret that later, I mean, that sucks, that's but hopefully society in like, general will learn the transgender thing where like people are so concerned about what other people are doing to their bodies and i feel like just let people do what they want to do with their own bodies and if they make a mistake it's on them yeah no i mean i agree people can do whatever they want with their bodies but you know it also sucks if someone ends up there's kind so of mutilating their body that, that they, there's i mean the thing about the trans like trending debate right now is that blockers. there's almost no gatekeeping at all like anyone says hey i think i'm trans almost no gatekeeping that is are you sure from okay so i there was so much gatekeeping it, it <laughs> i don't know i've never gone through it myself it sounds like it depends on where you live and what your social class is some people are being simply given whatever they ask for without anyone even asking them you know are you sure about it or whatever i really like the strong opinion version of the bayesian conspiracy this is fun <laughs> this is fucking I've, terrifying i don't like it I, well I, okay I, I can stop no just, no 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 no. it's cool it's I, cool I worry like, how we, much we're also just sort of sick of fans most of the time i don't think that we are going to have any issues with each other because we all know each other and we're friends i'm, I'm more worried about the knock-on effects with future whatever but i guess you know i don't need to be employed anymore so whatever <laughs> <laughs> well i think um, that that what you're saying like um there there is a a trend that's uh horrifyingly parallel to like the repressed memories from like the 1980s yeah and uh oh have you considered that really the problem is that you're you're a girl inside or you're a boy inside well, yeah whereas no. before it was like were you raped as a child well right. I, I don't remember being so well but let me put you under hypnosis and maybe you were yeah and, and, and someone so, asks what's the harm well the harm is the family being torn apart well and you know well yeah in the case of this repressed memory thing but what I, what surprised and shocked me to learn was that some of these uh like psychiatry and it's obviously got to be a small minority of them but some of the very same people from the 80s who are giving people repressed memory diagnoses are the ones uh pushing like maybe you've got this problem diagnoses now Which and it's I'm, like how are you still licensed and how is no one how is your reputation not just destroyed by now so, i just can't imagine going through life never having an orgasm once like that would be huh? awful and i don't wait what is that in relation to it can be a side effect of puberty blockers if they're taken for a while mm, maybe. and like that i mean sure that's people's decision to make but oh my god that would be I would want them to have a lot of informed consent before they jumped on that. I feel like when people want puberty blockers, it's because, I don't know, like, uh, growing up, I had a friend group of kids that, like, grew up on the same block or a few blocks as me, and there was one kid that was just clearly a trans guy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's weird because I wasn't or didn't. I had my issues with gender, but they seemed like, I have complicated issues with gender, and it was... Yeah. The thing is, like, neither of us knew that being trans was an option at the time, but this other kid just was, like, cut their hair short, uh, wore only boy clothes, like, was, you know, assigned female, and, um, she was like, nope, I'm just gonna be a dude. 
I'm gonna behave like a dude. I'm gonna take the like dude. Like we we would like That's cool. literally grew up as children. We were playing house, and this kid was always like, "I'm the brother," yeah. or like. Whereas I was the dog. <laughs> and so I think that's an interesting sort of comparison of two different ways of being trans where like, I think I was like, I didn't experience a lot of gender dysphoria. I experienced a lot of gender just association mm-hmm. where I just didn't deal with or think about like when I was going through puberty, I was just like, Oh, I know the facts of this. Okay, cool. Whatever. So I'm just never going to like deal with it. And this other person just felt much stronger about it. And so, I mean, this is this is something I'm pulling out of the comments again, and I'm using gonna use myself as an example here, which feels weird. But on the Discord, on the Basic oh, Conspiracy Discord, which I spend some time on, uh, there's sort of a running joke which comes up every now and then that I am an egg, which I personally disagree with. <laughs> but uh, but like you know, people are like, but all these signs and symptoms, like these things, you you're you're you are an egg, and you are still you, you know. You spend a lot of delusional. time in blog posts talking about how maleness is terrible and you hate being a man and that's one of the pieces of evidence people point to <laughs> yes is egg referring to something? an egg is someone who is trans but doesn't know it or won't acknowledge it okay and, i mean part of the definition is they don't know it or won't acknowledge it so obviously i couldn't say no i'm not but i do say no i'm not but uh, from the thing it says in the comments uh that i pulled out here uh someone said in a traditional society alice would be a cis woman who occasionally has the weird feeling that she's not really female but dismisses this as obviously ridiculous and never thinks about it again but in our society where her gender and the possibility that it might be wrong is constantly called to her attention and reified this turns into full-blown gender dysphoria and like i i think that's the same thing we're like yeah i have a lot of complicated fucked up things with gender sometimes but for the most part, I've come to my peace with it because during my most... Um, Feels more cis, cis by default to me. Well, sure. But during my most psychologically malleable periods, I came to peace with like, you know what? Sure, this kind of sucks, but this is the body I'm in. And there we go. And like... See, I thought that if, I had that's why that I think point we're the, too for quite a long time. Until yeah, but I, I think that's where that, these... Oh, actually, there's this other option that I just didn't know about or wasn't able to look at. But I think that's where the whole society can influence how much something happens comes into play where oh, definitely yeah we're like you know that would create more trans people or that would create more ptsd people or that would create more anorexic people and like it's not that they're pretending or acting out or anything it's just that the social ocean that you're awash in like actually affects your development like there are these underlying pressures but the way that you choose to bring them out talk about them deal with them or not is sort of guided by what your society tells you is and isn't appropriate. Yeah, I hung out with a lot of tomboys. And, like, the thing about it was, like, sure, again, tomboys often have complicated gender things. But, like, whatever. I'm a woman. You can't take that away from me because that's what I was born as. And I can act as boyish and manly as I want because it doesn't change anything about me. And it was, like, a point of, of strength, you As know? a kid, I used to cut my hair short and only wear boy clothes and do sports and collect yeah. lizards and whatnot. And then also I would get really mad whenever anyone mistook me for a boy. Okay. But in retrospect, that was hilarious because I was like, I was completely presenting as a boy. Why wouldn't? I don't know. But like, yeah. but, it, but um, so I part of what kept me from coming out as trans for such a long time was this, this is the body that I'm in and that like also being involved in feminism and mm-hmm. you know a lot of formative experiences being girls aren't allowed to play with dinosaurs that's not a girl toy that's a boy toy you can't do that you're not allowed to. and then just like sort of wanting to scream and punch them all and be like fuck you i'm a girl yeah. um, right uh, was it exactly freitas uh i forget i think it was freitas but there was this like viking warrior woman who used to mm. charge into battle topless 
in order to show I'm a woman and I'm going to fuck your shit up. And nice. like, I sort of found that out later, but I was just like, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. But also like, then later I was like, oh, maybe I wasn't a woman. But like just the fact that people were saying that women can't do these things. And I felt like I belonged to that class or that it was talking about other people that I hung out with and liked and cared about made me so fucking mad. That was part of what held me back from being able to like express my true scare quotes gender but that's the thing i don't think that it's a worse existence to be the sort of you know boyish woman or sort of guy with complicated um feelings about things than it is to be a trans a person feelings. right what? yeah that's <laughs> unappropriate in our society but i i don't think that's a worse existence than uh being trans and going through all the shit that comes with that and i think it's extremely important to like to help people and acknowledge people who like have the gender dysphoria so deeply ingrained that they're that is the best thing for them but you know there's a line where people could fall one way or the other and i don't think necessarily pushing them into the the transitioning thing is the best thing for them or society kind of like with anorexia and ptsd and those things to go back a bit on the like having strong opinions i noticed that you also pulled out lesbian extinction i didn't pull that out i was just that was a thing that like also came to mind so i made the note and i wasn't no, actually I gonna bring it up really but. relevant where like um when you look at historical people i think this is super interesting so uh you would see like uh queen hapset she uh the like pharaoh queen who would present as a man and wore a fake beard and everything uh they're like same deal with like female pirates, female soldiers, etc. throughout history that uh, you could say, okay, these were these weird aberrants uh, or like these were clearly butch lesbians or tomboys or more recently now people can say these seem to be trans men. Mm -hmm. But like they presented the way that they were or like they did what was (laughs) what made sense to them at the time. And I think that the lesbian extinction (laughs) thing is really interesting because like there is, I think now so much concerned for acknowledgement of transgender being transgender being being a transgender being an option that it sort of overrides the other options and i i do see that where it's just like for example there's this like butch lesbian tumblr that i love or like a few of them but one in particular i'm thinking of where i was really confused scrolling around being on there by like seeing women who identified as butch lesbians taking tea Mm-hmm. growing facial hair getting chest surgery and i was just like wait a minute <laughs> but they're still like but this doesn't not make me a woman i just want to present more mask and i'm like hmm 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 okay like yeah. <laughs> shrugging off into the distance of the void like uh gender is weird and complicated and i do sort of worry that like there is this sort of desire to kind of not minimalize it but like compartmentalize it and name all these things and then like you know your options are a or b so i can get on board with that i'm ready to weigh in do it all right so i think zooming out a bit there's a huge important distinction that just we need to make sure that is illuminated and not ignored that like um treating like like we we talked about a bit but i don't emphasize the point like if someone's misdiagnosed with autism they get some extra therapy hey that sounds like a like a perk. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably could have used it anyway because they've probably got something going on. I feel like everybody could use some extra therapy. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sincere about that. And so uh, just like, you know, everyone could use some physical Being therapy. Being human is hard. Huh? <laughs> Being human is really goddamn hard. I, I equate 
Physically uh, psychotherapy with like physical therapy, yeah. you know, like you might feel great, but Hey, you know, you might feel even better if you did these stretches or these particular exercises, you might not even know that your knee isn't supposed to feel that way or something. Right. So, or even just like the healthiest, most stable person probably has some shit that they could work through with the therapist. Yeah. Everybody's got shit. Totally. Being human is hard. Yeah. I like that. That summary is, is, is apt. Um, so, but there's a difference between that and then, uh, being mixed, misdiagnosed something where the treatment is, uh, surgery that is like irreversible and uh because there there there's actual stakes right um in one case you get some extra therapy that maybe wasted three hours a week that you could have spent playing games or something but yeah you had to do therapy instead or whatever but that time isn't like the worst thing in the world to lose but if the treatment for whatever you're you're misdiagnosed with is the amputation of your legs just to go to straight to (laughs) the level of, of of absurdity then like now there's you look back and like well shit maybe i didn't want to lose my legs and now i I miss having them um so uh i'm not like an expert on anything with um uh like the the difficulties with um identifying or figuring out whether or not you're you're trans or something but i'm just i'm I'm just pointing out that there's like a difference in the the stakes of like a of a misstep because you're like what's the harm and like the harm could be like well a fuck up here made me get some extra therapy and I'm a better adjusted 19 year old than I would have otherwise been. And the other one is Versus like, well, I was on the wrong medication for 10 years or I got surgeries that weren't yeah. necessary and were possibly harmful. Yeah. Right. I'm, I now looking back, I wish I had a dick and I'm not sure if that, how often that happens, but I'm sure it's more than never. I, it I'm, is more I, than never. Yeah. Um, I remember actually being quite irritated by some articles I read about detransitioners. I think that they, uh, well, in particular, you know, the conservative right really tries to push these stories or just people that are transphobes of people that transitioned and then regretted it and detransitioned. In particular, I remember reading this story that really irritated me where there was this guy who was having dysphoria and then like all of his friends apparently convinced him that he was a trans woman and needed to come out as trans and get the surgeries and do the hormones. And then later it was like, no, they were wrong. And how dare Planned Parenthood or whoever like just give me hormones without asking and but like the thing that I was irritated about was you were the one coming and saying I identify this way I would like these procedures please like in that case I think that it sucks that that happened but also that person needs to own their own choices and not say oh my friends convinced me into it and Planned Parenthood just gave me the hormones without asking I was just like this this feels like the whole like drugs thing again no one like, no one snuck up and, and stabbed you with it, with, yeah. with hormones yeah I like it's kind of it's shitty of this person assuming this is what actually happened it is shitty of this person's friends to have pushed that diagnosis on them if they weren't sure but it seems like honest mistake to have made I don't know what this person was going through or what was wrong with them but it seems like if they were fucked up enough about their identity and presentation that they like were like oh yeah I need to go on hormones start presenting female dressing female changing my pronouns changing my name going and getting really invasive expensive long-term surgeries and then later regretted it that's kind of on them do you listen to blocked and reported at all no i don't know what that is there's a podcast called blocked and reported um it's two quite liberal people uh one of them uh wrote uh, both journalists one of them wrote an article about detransitioning and uh as a result you know was canceled lost his career etc does the podcast now yeah yeah and so like i mean I do hate I ag- that there has to be this sort of, you know... Yeah, no, I, I agree with you totally about the, you know, the detransitioner made a bad choice and that was on them. Like, they didn't force anybody to do this to them. They I'm sure the media didn't convince them? Yeah, they, they made, you know, they said, yes, and please do this every step along the way. But also, like, 
it's harder to make an informed decision if you don't know that, you know, what all the potential um, problems are and what other people who have gone through this say about it. So, like, while I don't think anyone should be pushing a detransition de narrative like, oh, this is a big thing, like, also censoring anyone who mentions anything about detransitioning is bad because then no one would know that, oh, this is a potential thing that could happen. Like, informed consent means you have to be con informed and... <laughs> If one side is completely censoring the trans detransitioning does exist uh, side of things, then you can't be fully informed because you never find that out. Yeah, if the other side is pushing, this is always what happens. Yeah, yeah. Then you are scared to transition because obviously you're, you know, everybody who's ever done this made a mistake and regrets it and yeah. is horribly deformed now. So, yeah. there, as always, I come out in favor of freedom of speech and don't cancel anyone. There's reducto absurdums on both sides. I so this this ties into the other. Two quick points I wanted to make. One, the the other, and I don't want to get into it too long unless you guys find it really captivating, but mm. the other complicating factor here about like informed consent and the decision making is like, if you're making a decision as a parent for your 10-year-old that, you know what, you seem like you need antidepressants and the risk is minimal, let's let's try them out. Um, if, the, if the parent of the 10-year-old says, you know what, it seems like you need uh, transgender surgery, um, like the kid could say, sure, I want it, but I'm going to say kids don't know what the hell they're talking about. Um, and mm -hmm. I, and, but that my made, childhood friend knew, and that's as a good long as I knew on him. Kid. Yeah, that's all right. So that's fair. I I just think like you know, as far as you know, I think if, if a if kid it, has strong feelings about it, you should at least take it seriously. Oh, uh, of like, course. Sorry if I'm, I'm jumping in and cutting you off. You no, should no. Finish your thought. I'm I'm not saying uh, we should never. I, I'm not saying ignore them. I'm just saying that like uh, it's it's one thing for like an adult person to go say I want this surgery. It's another thing entirely for um someone else to say I think you want this and I have medical power over you. Um, you know, of course, you don't like do it while they're saying, please don't. But like they might not be articulate enough to really explain where they're coming from. But yeah, obviously that you don't take it to the other absurd extreme and just like ignore them. But I'm going to do a strong opinion thing. And whoever's unless this egg joke is done in like good natured uh, it is. joke. OK, good. Yeah. Because I can be pissed because like, no, 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 it's all people that I know and love on the Discord. OK, I was going to say like you don't run around giving people even semi jokingly uh, tell them that they're psychologically uh hampered in a way that there's in denial about that's that's a mean thing to do unless you're being friendly i okay. mean it's mostly joking it's kind of a haha -ha only serious kind of joking but you know I, I get where they're coming from i do have to say i've made this joke before the what <laughs> i've also made this joke before okay just because of how often like like there was an episode a while ago where we were talking about transhumanism where both you and steven were like you know if you could change your bodies well and you, you both were like oh i'd be a woman immediately <laughs> well i so, okay, this is weird. I thought that the very first thing any guy in the world would do would be like, I'm going to be in a woman body and see what it's like to have sex with a woman. It's going to be awesome. Turns out that is not what every to tell you guy this. says, There's which is of, weird. A lot of cis people that actually really like relate strongly to their gender. Like, I, I was actually surprised to find this out too because it I turns out bizarre. that because of bubble effects, most of my life I've been hanging out with other trans or like gender weird people. Mm -hmm. But I went and tried to talk to people that like identified as a cisgender whatever and asked them about it and they were just like oh no i totally feel like a guy no i like having a dick i like women and like the things that i'm i don't know like this has never been in question i feel really strongly about this what and i mean like, i'm certainly not this against actually my dick seems to be the uh this seems to be the norm among cisgender people and it was just like oh okay because like most of my life i've been hanging out with people who are cis by default or trans in some way and it's but I like i even think most cisgender dudes would jump at the chance to, like just be a chick and screw as a chick for a while Maybe, but maybe not. Like, I think also maybe they think they might want that, but like, uh, I forget where I heard this. It was just recent too, but somebody brought up that like, 
some trans person mentioned that like it's sort of like imagine wake you wake up and you're in the body of a gorilla and oh, it feels oh. that wrong okay. <laughs> like and like you're not ever unaware of the fact that you're in the wrong body and it's yeah i don't experience dysphoria i experience excitement at the idea of being able to try out different meat suits yeah right uh so well in mind killers april also brought up there's also gender euphoria the excitement you have of being in the right body mm-hmm. or like <laughs> well, who's the lucky son face. of a bitch who gets that <laughs> i get that really yeah oh that's awesome yeah, i didn't have you. very much like the thing between me and my childhood friend who like the one friend was just like nope i'm a dude like from babyhood like as soon as they developed a sense of self <laughs> onward uh we're just like i'm in the wrong body i'm a dude I need to do the dude gender role stuff. I need a dude name. I need to do like that. This is just obvious to everyone and like, or it should be, it's obvious to me. And then like, then there was me where I was just sort of always struggling with gender, but I didn't have a thing to call it or know what to do with it or anything. And, but like, it wasn't really dysphoria so much that pushed me over the edge of transitioning, but more of like, oh, let me try this out. Oh my God, this feels so much better. <laughs> so I kind of see why Scott didn't include this now because... It's, we we got yeah. yeah way off on this a bit on this thing yeah yeah definitely mind killy so I, I probably you know I should praise his discretion um I guess the overall bigger point was again is popularizing and raising awareness of certain things at what point does it get to be more harm than good like in the cases of the um anorexia and PTSD stuff well and he was reviewing a book and if it wasn't in the book then you that's know, true too yeah yeah. yeah. Well, the point of the book was something slightly different about, like, the West is exporting its specific terminology, uh, pathology, treatment, etc. Yeah. Uh, and sure, maybe. And, and something else about, like, the diminishing neurodiversity of the world there. Mm-hmm. But, like, the thing Scott thought was interesting was this question. And that's the thing I think is interesting and why I wanted to talk about it. I, I like the... I mean, so just to kind of put my last pin on the the last few minutes of what we're talking about i imagine we'll zoom out in a couple of centuries and look back and be like oh yeah that was the confusing period where they were still figuring that stuff out like, <laughs> i hope so i mean well i think I, I i'm optimistic i mean you know a couple a couple centuries is a long time yeah and you know if it'll be weird that like oh yeah people made like a whole fuss about whether or not someone thought they were a boy or a girl and those are such like weird concepts now that you know or i mean i feel the same way about like race or um yeah other i, I i'm serious though if, no like, i mean if you think I, from the perspective of either a far future human or an alien they're just like oh my god these people have like wars and shit about like being slightly different shades of brown or tan <laughs> yeah and to me it's you it's, have spiral nipples <laughs> right like Rick, Rick and <laughs> Morty. Oh. um yeah i mean the, the race thing i i remember i got like i raised an eyebrow when i was talking about that with somebody recently and i was like no for real though like I'm told that race is, is is largely a social construct. And like, if, you know, if you feel like you're really close identify with one thing that you weren't born into, like, I don't think, in, you know, in the future where everyone's more dude, I don't think anyone's going to say, no, you can't do that. Um, you know, if everyone's, you know, if things are chill, then I think people are going to be more, more relaxed about stuff. But maybe that's, abide. Huh? Yeah, people will just abide. Um, all right. So I, I, I wanted to touch on um, PTSD before we wrap this up, because this is one that I, I have some sneaking suspicion might actually be overdiagnosed or maybe just the umbrella of what it encompasses is more appropriately expanded now to include yeah, more things. Cause I feel like it's very underdiagnosed. Oh man, this is on. so cool. I love, we so rarely disagree that this, this is exciting. <laughs> and so like, and then I had just a couple of like quick anecdotes from my past. So 
you know, I've, I've been in, in a, one or two car crashes, which didn't deter me. I fell off of a horse that we were going kind of fast on once. But you got right back on. Well, I did. And it wasn't until I was telling the story and I used those words that I realized how cliched it was. <laughs> um, and so like those didn't, those didn't register. I had someone pull a gun in my face oh, and, and do the, you know, like I could hear a bullet in the oh. chamber and, you know, I shook on the drive home, but slept fine that night. And it, it just is a thing that happened. These things might have traumatized some people, didn't, but didn't traumatize me. Conversely, the, the death of my cat in like 20... 16 fucked me up for years. Do you remember years. you talking to me about this cat? And, and... Uh, we just, we've just passed about a year and a half with our current princess Zelda. That's her actual name. Mm. Um, that was her name at the shelter was Zelda. So it worked, oh. worked. It was part of what made us Probably vibe so well. Fitzgerald, Zelda, but. Well, not, not to us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but I mean, it took us years to get over our first cat. So like that, you know, luckily I've lived a fairly sheltered existence and that was like among the worst things that's happened. But... I still have nightmares about childhood pet deaths. And so it, but isn't that, so this is. But this, not about like childhood rapes, like well, not about really stuff that happened to me, but times where I felt like I was responsible for this person or this thing and I fucked it up. And so. Dreams can be dicks, but the. Huh, dreams? Yes. Yeah. The. Um, dreams. <laughs> I, I sometimes have fun dreams. Sometimes I have, yeah, no. I have magic powers, but um, like, but isn't that, that to me just is part of the like confusing issue, right? So like if I were to list off like these five things. People would be, and I gave like, hey, what's a guess of what was traumatic in my experience? They might think, oh, a gun one might be near the top of the list. But honestly, it's probably lower. It's probably near the bottom. I mean, mm-hmm. I, the horse thing, I'm unlikely to encounter a horse unexpectedly. Um, and that was not the horse's fault. You know, it was the yeah, saddle. I was say, also, horses are great. Yeah. I mean, well, the saddle was coming loose on it. It wasn't like it flipped out and kicked me off or something. Oh, I've um, been bucked off horses. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be more, I think that'd be scarier. But point is, is like, I, I don't know. Um, this is where I, I, I'm having the hardest like time, well, A, I guess apparently articulating my point, but B, with someone else saying, here's your problem. You, I've heard your experience. I'm going to give you a, a diagnosis because someone might be inclined to diagnose you know, suppressed PTSD if you know someone was like if, if since i was uh threatened with you know a violent gun death right but like i don't feel like i have suppressed ptsd like it's and i, I feel like my experience again, is probably enough right you have mentioned numerous times that you don't have very good memories of your childhood and specifically that like you don't feel like you were a person up until a certain age and that worries me a bit for what it's worth i have a uh, good corroborating uh just, like people from my childhood that can pretty much assure me that nothing really that bad happened. I've it was, never had much memory from my childhood either. Yeah. I think it was oh, like the, I have a general impression that things were great. Like I don't have suppressed memories of it. It was just that like, I think really what happened just to quickly, hopefully put to put to rest any concerns that I'm suppressing childhood trauma. When I was in my late teens, I learned of the research of Elizabeth Loftus and saw her at a conference, give a talk the same conference where I got to meet James Randi and, and uh, cause it was the, the amazing meeting James, the amazing Randy. Um, and some of those big skeptic folks. And uh, then it was really just like, oh, it was like the Lost in the Mall experiment. You can Google Lost in the Mall, Elizabeth Loftus, spelled like it sounds. Um, and I was like, okay, this is kind of startling. It's really easy to like make up memories. I have very distinct memories of like watching the World Trade Centers get hit on the, on TV. And I can't remember what, I, I remember like checking the veracity of these memories by Googling what time it actually happened. And without doing that again, I think I remember learning that my memory that I was pretty sure happened didn't actually happen. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, let's just go ahead and put everything that I'm not really sure about 
into this just like bucket called maybe in my brain. And eventually that bucket got garbage collected and everything in there was just thrown out as possibly made up and therefore like not retained. <laughs> so I don't think I like I threw out traumatic stuff. It was just like I lost confidence in my ability to remember stuff and therefore stopped trying, I guess. I think that's what happened there. But um, I guess I brought all this up because PTSD is one of those things where like I think the range of experience, maybe, maybe it's one of those things where like we need more granular terms because there seems to be something. We have some. Yeah, we, we, I think it's getting better. CPTSD. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, and this isn't me being fars- farcical, there should be something called pre-post-traumatic stress disorder. where pre-post? it's. Like, huh? Yeah, I mean, because like, all right, the trauma hasn't happened yet. You know it's going to, and that's freaking you out, uh-huh. right? So like, that's also traumatic in itself. But um, anyway, the, you know, I, I had a conversation once with like a guy who worked at a gas station. Did I tell this on this podcast? I don't remember it. Um, so far. It was, so I was like, uh, I must have been in late high school or, or college because it was the gas station next to my pizzeria where I worked. And it was raining, and I don't know why I was talking, you know, enough about to get into this about without about him. But it was, I think, the end of his shift, and he was hanging out to like ring me up or something. I was like, "Oh, you're, you know, waiting for a ride or whatever." And he's like, "No, I don't drive in the rain." I'm like, "Oh, eyesight something?" He's like, "No, when I was in Iraq, it uh, watched IEDs explode, and it's the puddles when the car wheels go over them just freak me out." And that's so I'm I'm at the stage I just I don't drive it in, when it's raining. And he was just like super chill about it. He clearly had trauma that that was his coping mechanism with it and the way that he described it made it seem like he was doing this you know guided with a professional helping because that was just like the most like blase delivery of you know his understanding of where he was at but like you compare that with uh you know i lost my cat or um you know people get ptsd from like you know bullies at school which can be really traumatizing. And so I don't want to say like any of these things are worse or better than others. Like, you know, if I guess if I had to pick, I'd either lose another cat than get traumatized in Iraq. But um, that's that's not really what, what I, that's not really what's at, at question here. Um, I guess what I'm saying is that these sound like different kinds of things, right? Or maybe they're all the same and it just covers a wide range of experience that varies from person to person, therefore making diagnosis like really hard. I think both. See, this, that's the, the whole thing is it's, it's, it's more than one thing, and it's a it's a fuzzy line. So it's super complicated. Yeah, it's complex PTSD. I like the um, harking back to the beginning of this, the idea that there is a a lot of mental stress or strain or something, and that is fucking people up. And it looks for an outlet, and your cultural environment is what determines what that outlet is. But that doesn't mean that the mental stress was fake. Yeah, this actually brings back brings to mind the point that I had when I was reading this, and I forgot to mention the entire episode, which is that like. On the one hand, having a label like PTSD for, like, you know, I went through this, you know, whether it was a long thing, um, whatever, got a rough job or a rough year at school or whatever, and I feel pretty fucked up about it. And man, this is this is intense, and I, I'm still trying to cope with this and shake it off. What's going on? Someone can give you a label like, it sounds like a post-traumatic stress disorder, and you're like, oh, yeah. there are well, geez, that helps. Though. Oh, I know, yeah, but, but, it, but it could fit, right? It I guess could, if you have flashbacks uh panic attacks uh you know like if you fit the criteria gotcha yeah and then again like maybe the criteria is also bullshit but well i so the specifics of ptsd aside i guess just the idea of having a label of saying hey look it sounds like it's this thing whatever you're describing whatever problem you're having for some people i think having a label can be a relief and they're like oh good i i, I feel this way not because i'm broken because i got this thing i can i can deal with that and then i i now we've got a, ve- I, uh... a vector of attack to work on this and other people will like take that and be like, I'm damaged. I get to 
either a give my give myself a get out of jail free card forever because I'm damaged and I get to like just give myself a pass forever or get the like the benefit the benefit quote unquote of the societal support of being damaged. But it seems like getting a label can be both like super helpful for some people and maybe not super helpful for others. I think it's more like I'm damaged. Now I have to deal with this. This is going to impact everything in my life. And then from then on, it starts impacting everything in your life because you think of yourself as damaged. Yeah, that's another, that's another, that, that's thank you. That's sort of more like cultural lenses where like, uh, I don't know if it would have been at all helpful for me to actually get diagnoses as a kid because, you know, just growing up in a family that didn't believe or that, that believed that mental health was really just weakness of will. Mm. Uh, that would have been like another sort of mark against me. Like, uh, I don't know. And I was, I was thinking about when I had trichotillomania, it would have been, or I remember it actually being this like massive relief when I found out that it had a name and that other people had it. And that's like the main thing that I think a lot of people are like, Oh, other people have this thing. There's a word for it. Like I'm not just a freak. I'm, I'm nodding enthusiastically uh, when you're saying that, but that wasn't, that didn't come through on the air. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Knowing that like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not weird. You know, I have a, I have a thing that other people have. Right. I'm weird in a particular way that other people have. Yeah. Right. I'm not, I'm not uniquely, uh, uniquely weird. Right. Like, I mean, there's a, I, I can't remember, you know, they, once in a while there's like an ask Reddit thread. Does anyone else have, have this thing? And they're like, holy shit. Yeah. Oh, I thought it, it was just me. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, like those, those are kind of just, it's, it's nice to like, it can just even take a huge edge off a lot of people. Be like, oh, I'm not alone in this. Like, I thought it was just me having this unique problem and that I had, you know, these, these terrible, weird things I, I uniquely had to overcome. But when you learn that, no, actually, this is a thing we understand. Check this out. You can do five Here's easy steps. There's the Reddit community for it. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I, I didn't have much else to offer there on, on that. I guess I just wanted to pitch out the idea. Oh, and I'm going to put in the show notes um, just because it's funny for some comedic relief because some of this episode is heavy. Uh, George Carlin had a bit in the 90s on euphemisms. And uh, he talks about PTSD as one of the euphemisms he covers. Okay. I put it in the notes already. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, great. All righty. Um, I guess, did you, I have one thing at the very end to end it with, but did you want to say anything, touch anything else? No, go for it. Uh, this it came from the comments section. It's how, um, how Scott Alexander ended the comments post. So I guess I'm going to uh, quote it as well. Uh, he ended it with, uh, so a user saying, I found the trauma section of the book very compelling, in part because it squares with my impression of the United States as a society that is convinced it understands trauma better than any previous society, but seems to achieve uniquely poor outcomes. It would be like a land that was convinced it had the best vaccine for polio, but you look around and every fourth person <laughs> is in an iron lung. Yeah, I have so much to say about that, but uh, I don't want to like belabor it too long. I yeah, guess, if you like... want to. One of the things that is funny there is maybe because we are such a traumatized people, maybe that's why we have such good understanding. And I, I think actually we do have a deeper understanding of trauma and ways to mitigate it than any other period. But, um, well, okay, maybe now that I just said that out loud, there's a part of my brain going, but what about Iboga? What's Iboga? Ibogaine is a chemical um, found in the Iboga tree that is actually worshipped in Africa. It's a psychedelic that has this unique, like, 48-hour, I think, duration. Fuck Jesus. And, uh, but the thing is, they have this whole ritual where you consume the Iboga. Uh, they, they, it's interesting, a lot of these, like, they do this with ayahuasca, too, like, in these, like, tribal healing ceremonies. Um, in the West, like, the sort of best 
best practices for taking psychedelics, especially for like healing or enlightenment purposes, is set and setting. You know, you want things to be safe and calm and comfortable. But they put you like, I mean, in the aboga ceremony, part of it involves like they bury you alive. Damn. And there's this symbolic: you go to the land of the dead and you talk to your ancestors, etc., and then you come back and like. But the thing is that. Like T'Challa and Black Panther. Exactly. <laughs> that actually was probably a direct reference for this, but um. That's why I didn't feel bad making a Marvel shout out. Yeah, I guess like there's I, I could um, uh, suggest the episode of Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia that was about Iboga. I'll link to that too. Um, but it has really good like people. It, the, the the episode that I was just talking about was about op- the opioid epidemic. Um, it cures addictions. It like. And, you know, it's one of those things that I struggle with, um, like Scott Alexander also um, had the cultural evolution essay that I think we did an essay about Mm -hmm. or did a podcast Mm -hmm. about the essay where, yeah, I think like modern science does know a lot about trauma, but like we're really bad at being able to take that knowledge and do anything useful with it. It seems like actually uh, they we didn't really get that much into this, but in this article uh, in another stuff I've read. Telling someone, oh shit, that thing happened and you're going to develop PTSD and now we need to like, you know, put you through therapy immediately and have you process it ahead of time actually seems to cause PTSD or like crystallize it in ways that Jane McGonigal, I'm going to keep making references, but uh, Jane McGonigal wrote Super Better and has a whole like therapy system around that, but this is someone who opened a cabinet door in her kitchen, was bending down, stood up smacked her head against the cabinet door and gave herself brain trauma and was this like very effective executive of some kind or i don't know if it was an executive but like was a you know high functioning effective person before this and then was struggling with just trying to figure out how to recover and found video games to be really helpful and created this system of recovery through video games but like brought up research about when you know, somebody when when a traumatic event happens, something that could crystallize PTSD style trauma, they did a experimental intervention of just playing Tetris. Mm-hmm. And I read about other um, or uh, yeah, okay. Now I'm gonna end up getting way too deep into okay. more of this essay. So like, maybe you we should that, hang on to it for another time. Are but, you saying that my playing a lot of Plants vs Zombies to deal with stress is probably not like a complete bad way, bad use of my time? It's probably quite adaptive, actually. Hell yes. <laughs> Green light to waste my time playing phone games. Or at least they've shown that, like, a tsunami wipes out your village, or there's some kind of horrible, you know, poison event, war, etc. Like, if you give people that survived Tetris immediately afterward, um, it seems to prevent trauma from crystallizing in a way that, like, we don't quite understand, but it seems like ancient societies, or, like, older societies that, like, had these whole ritualistic traditions around this did. Or so they didn't understand it, they at least knew, like, kind of, like, the, what do we call it? They didn't uh, think. Yeah, we have like the scientific understanding, the neurological like way that it happens is like sort of the thing that you're just saying, Ineash. Yeah. Where it's so like, your argument, we, we know a lot about it, but like we don't have the like we have the knowledge, we don't have the really like wisdom, if that makes any sense. The, I there, guess the you're saying that we know a lot about trauma, but nothing about how to deal with or fix trauma. Yeah, because it seems to okay. be pretty unintuitive. Like people's intuition was a tsunami wipes out your village and you're one of the survivors in a refugee camp. And then like they send a therapist in there to talk to you about it. Yeah. But like, that made it, it worse. seems like that makes it worse. Whereas if you gave them Tetris, 
<laughs> or if you did one of these on they i think mentioned that in this article and i i'm failing to wouldn't you say that if like a society thinks they know um trauma better than anyone else but they have absolutely no way of coping with it or fixing it then they don't actually know more about trauma than everyone else um that sounds like just a definitions thing like what i'm trying to say is i think we understand the neurological side of what causes trauma how it forms uh what that looks like throughout the rest of your life but like when i say we lack the wisdom it seems like really people figured out what worked through trial and error and, and then sort of just passed that down cultural evolution wise is like maybe they have like some kind of mythology around well this god fucked up in this way and then because this happened we have to do this and it doesn't really map to reality but like i don't know i, I find this sort of thing fascinating and i feel like it's also sort of it's it, it's gonna be its own whole topic probably <laughs> But cultural evolution is the word I was looking for to, to bring that home. Like the the biblical wisdom of like don't eat pork or something, you know, like it yeah, wasn't it like, wasn't because pork is inherently I'm making up an example, but it's not like you no, know, pig, actual... pigs have devils. But 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 it's because like yeah, you can get trichotillomania from eating pork and you you know, you want to avoid that because bronze oh. age people who don't know how to wash their hands <laughs> or No, cook actually food it properly. turns out genetically or um I, I the Jewish people or the Israelites who lived in that area at the time were particularly susceptible to a disease and i'm misremembering the details of this but it's super interesting as an example of why jews in particular had this taboo and other like peoples around them didn't yeah no no totally i guess what i'm getting at is that it's possible to be right by accident and have <laughs> things that work to solve a problem that you're you're community is dealing with even if you don't like really know what you're yeah. doing we have always done it this way right so i hate to say this but isn't the traditional answer most cultures have to be like don't be such a whiner because i don't think that's the best answer but that's the one that most societies seem to have unfortunately it seems to work to. okay uh but like well i mean if it works then that's not unfortunate right it's i guess it's unfortunate well, for I the few people that it doesn't work for because i did grow up sort of being told don't be such a whiner about like real mental disorders but like i think that's not actually what they're doing though when in in the was it uh, the Sri Lankan uh, tsunami earthquake or tsunami yeah. that they yeah. brought up in this? We didn't even get into that, but it wasn't don't be a whiner. Like that culture had taboos around talking about traumatic things and the need to use euphemisms to talk about it yeah. because they had this belief that there were like evil spirits that could be of, I guess, like bad memories or something that could be conjured if you talk about it. But uh, it seems like that helped people not develop trauma where maybe you're not telling them you're bad if you're crying or like, you know, you need to suck it up or whatever, but more of just sort of, no, we, we as a people don't think that it's helpful to talk about these things. Well, but like, it doesn't have to mean throwing somebody under the bus or saying that they're bad. If they're upset, just sort of like, you know, giving them a pat on the back and saying, hey, like, I know it's hard, but you know, we as a culture don't talk about these things. Mental health is hard. Gotta like said, being human is hard. I'm looking yeah. forward to... I didn't have no I'm idea. I'm looking forward to not being human. I, well, that too. Maybe that maybe that is is actually the answer. In that whole state. I was gonna say I'm looking forward to like the future where we have a way to just to know, you know, a full brain scan that you can figure something out. Like, oh yeah, no, you have this problem, and this is actually the solution. But maybe easier than that would just be not being human anymore. <laughs> so, neurofeedback's pretty good for that. Um, I got to do some neurofeedback when I still had my employee-sponsored healthcare, and I was kind of upset that I had to stop, but uh they do sort of do a brain scan and they showed me some of my shit. They're like, yep, these are the regions that are typically involved in ADD. And when we like showed you these videos or had you do these tests, these lit up real hard. And this is the intervention we're going to try to do to train you out of that. Hmm. 
and then like there were various other things around uh anxiety and even i was trying to do an experimental like uh delta what was it well that sounds like a whole nother episode though it probably is at least one more episode <laughs> okay all um, right we're gonna thank a patron <laughs> and the specific patron that we're gonna thank is simon yeah yes Yes, it is High Simon. five, Simon. Simon, thank you very much. You have helped make us feel like we're contributing to the community um, and, you know, help us pay the bills around here because they're not zero. And we we really appreciate the support. Oh, and you didn't say this on the air, but the new power adapter for the um, mixer box, what is that thing? Yeah. Yeah, it's a mixer. Anyway, Simon, you works. helped us buy the new thing. Yay. That makes the stuff sound better. Which makes us let... The people have the podcast. Indeed. You oh, yeah, have we, directly helped everyone listen to this podcast. We didn't need that for the last one because we did that one remotely. That's right. Right. Yeah. It's been a long few weeks, people. So mm-hmm. we haven't done it in person and I have no idea how long. But everyone stay safe and have fun out there. We can't go outside because yesterday apparently Denver had the worst air quality in the developed world. So um, I went outside. I was outside all day yesterday. I was too. Yeah. It was stupid. Yep. Probably shouldn't have. Well, I didn't, yeah. I didn't learn until this morning that, oh, that's why, yeah, my throat hurt immediately. And, I, you know, I could look directly at the sun. I was coughing sunglasses. all day yesterday and I was like, oh, my God, did I get COVID? I'm vaccinated, <laughs> but maybe I got the COVID. I, I was shocked that this smoke came from the East Coast. It's like well over a thousand miles away and the entire state is blanketed in a thick layer of smoke. I'm West like, Coast, disapprovingly right? at the Did East I say Coast? West Coast? Wait, did you say East? I meant West. Okay, he yeah. Did say east. I did say east. I'm gonna glare disapprovingly at both coasts. Yeah. If you're if you're Come on, on one of the coasts, you really should Stop be in Denver things. if you're a rationalist. <laughs> just just get off the coast. It's not like Colorado's never burned parts of our state before. Move to the high ground. The coasts are going under anyway, so Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> Clearly we've at this too long. So Cool. All right. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Uh the yeah, we mentioned the Lesser Wrong Post, we'll talk about it next week, so or next episode. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. I don't know what else to say, so we're going to ramble until Inyash hits the end of the record button. Okay. So, Bye, everybody. I'll catch you later. Bye.